Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. As always, it is a, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Uh, this is the part of our show season where we begin to have prospect guests join us, which is a special pleasure for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one is because, frankly, the game is about the players. I mean, we all love Bill Belichick, but we wouldn't go to just watch him coach. We wouldn't, as fascinating as watching that guy on a dry erase board might be. And... You know, Saban's great, but we wouldn't pack stadiums just to watch him coach. Or even Harbaugh, who might be maybe right now the most entertaining show in coaching, at least in college football and maybe football together. But I don't think 104,000 people would plunk down their hard-earned cash to watch him coach. It's a game that's frankly about the players more than anything else. And it's their hopes, dreams, and aspirations that each day we watch play out every Saturday, every Sunday, every Friday night, if you're talking about high school. Additionally, it is their pain that we watch when they are injured or they lose. Uh, some people would want to switch places. Oh, man, I'd love to be Cam Newton for a day. They have no <laughs> idea what his days are like. <laughs> no earthly idea. He's a young man, but there's days when he probably takes him 20 minutes to get out of bed. You have no earthly idea. So I've been joined by a couple of prospect guests and a couple of my favorite uh, people to join me. Mr. Jim Coburn, I believe, has joined me. Yeah, hey, how's it going? Hello, Jim. And I believe we have the California kid, Donovan James. Yeah, how's it going? Good morning. Oh, always a pleasure. And we have a couple of prospects with us. Um, would you two young gentlemen please introduce yourselves? Okay, well, one of you introduced yourself. Um, who's, who's joining me from Arkansas? Is that, uh, gee, is that somebody from, who's joining me from Central Arkansas? Is that, uh, let's see. I'm guessing that's my defensive back. Oh, so is somebody having a little phone issue? Is that what's going on? Maybe. I don't know. Okay, we've got somebody with us, I can tell. I can see you on the board. Going once, somebody's there. Yeah, it's not like somebody's having a little phone issue. Um, try, I don't know if you're just in a bad coverage area or something, but yeah, try try seeing if you can, if you can call back in or something. I, for some reason, I cannot hear you, and I know you're unmuted because I've opened your mic. Okay, who's going to be from South Texas? Got somebody with me. Okay, let's just do a quick roll call. <laughs> okay, I've got Donovan, yes? Yeah, how's it going? Okay, got it. Jim Coburn? Yeah, sure. Yes? Yeah, sure. sure, yeah. Okay. Okay, who else do I have with me? Uh, Kent Platty's on. That might be the South Texas. Hey, there we go. Okay, and um, yeah, we've got a prospect who's having a little phone problem. He may 
Hopefully he'll be dialing back in. Excellent. So this is going to be good. Uh, Jim and I broke down the linebacker last a little bit last night, and for some reason, okay, good, good, good. He's back. Let's see if that he's he's able to be heard now. Um, but we were breaking down the linebacker class a little bit, and it seemed to be. Let me see if he's if he's able to to be heard and and hear us. Um, okay, I believe we have one of our prospects with us from. Uh, like I said, at least. Yeah, can, okay, can you identify yourself? I believe that's one of our prospects. I, I, it's actually not a prospect. I uh, I just got your emails, man. It's, uh, Ryan Turner. Oh, is it? Is it Ryan? Oh, it's Ryan. There we go. Oh, perfect. Okay, now now it's a party. Um, so. Ryan, Kent, Jim, Donovan, uh, the linebacker class, a lot of people have been kind of poo-pooing it. And I've gone back and looked at a bunch of linebackers, and I like this linebacker class. I don't know why more people aren't excited about it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'll start with you, Ryan, since you are uh, a very special guest with us. One is, what do you think of the linebacker class? And then tell me who are some of your favorite guys in the class. Uh just uh, throughout the linebacker class of this year, they don't uh, – the group just isn't as athletic as uh, previous years. And that's why I would say people think that the linebacker class is down this year. But and in my opinion, it's, it's down this year as well uh, because of the line – just, just the produ- – not production-wise, but the athleticism from from the group. They're just not as athletic in space, not as good in space and uh, things of that nature. So I would say that the class is down right now. Uh, I'm not going to go with the guy that I'm high on, but I'm going to go with the guy that's sneaking on the radar. Uh, he's slowly climbing up, and it's a linebacker from Lindenwood University. His name is Connor Harris. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that, he'll, that he will get – I believe that he may sneak into the seventh round or wind up being an undrafted guy. But uh, if he gets on a team into a mini camp, I really think that he's going to make a roster. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, and this, I guess that's probably what I'm saying. Maybe it's not the sexiest class in the world, but in terms of guys who not only play football, you know, there's a lot of high football IQ guys in this class. Uh, I'll ask you, Donovan, same question. One, what do you think about the linebacker class? And give me a guy or maybe a couple of guys that you're high on. Um, I think the linebacker class is pretty good. Um, I give it probably like a B minus. It depends who comes out, obviously, but as a whole right now, guys that are eligible. Um, yeah, I would say B minus. Guys I like, um, when Scooby Wright's healthy, um, I mean, he's got to be one of the best linebackers in the country. Uh, obviously, sure. he's been banged up this year with his meniscus and everything, but. I love the kid um, out of Arizona. Reggie Ragland, um, the guy I'm high on. Um, Sue Craven and Miles Jack will be playing. Or well, one of them will be playing today. Miles Jack's injured too, but uh, he's got him very high on as well. Um, um, you know, Jalen Smith, of course. Um, Eric Stryker, both of those guys I'm pretty high on too um, as well. Um, t- the kid out of Temple, uh, gosh, his last name is killing me right now. I know his first name is Tyler. But, um, and it, man, it's Kevin. Yeah, man, Kevin, yeah, yes. yeah. He he's obviously you know been the most consistent over the past uh, four years, and he's going to be in the NFL for a really really long time. He might not be, you know, uh, spectacular during the combine or on tape even sometimes, but he gets the job done um, every week. It seems like so. And the guy, I really you know, a lot of people were hit too early, I guess, and I, I was kind of late on. But who's really impressed me is uh, his brothers. Um, 
Kentrell Brothers from Missouri uh, lately. Um, yeah. He's just been really consistent all year. And, and, you know, he has a knack for the big play, too. Um, he's, like, um, over, you know, 250 like, tackles the past two years. So he's on pace for that. Um, so Kendrell Brothers is another guy I like a lot, too. Um, and, and, you know, I'll throw, I'll throw one more name. Um, the guy that's kind of under the radar, he's not going to get picked high or anything, but I think he's kind of a sleeper, Joe Walker from Oregon. Um, yep, he's really we talked about him some yesterday. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, Joe Walker is definitely a guy. Uh, I mean, their defense is bad at Oregon, but, I mean, there's some bright spots, and he's definitely one of them. So uh, that's a guy we'll look out well, for. I mean, um, you, can have, guy. you can have good players on a bad defense. I mean, we all we all joked about Washington, right? All the guys that came off that defense, and yet they, Washington got embarrassed on defense at times last year. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So, I mean, same as uh, the Ducks. Uh, their secondary is just not good. It's not really their front. Um, that's not their front. Their, their deep, interior defensive line isn't good, but the outside's good. Especially at linebacker, they're pretty good. I like all the linebackers. So, yeah, Joe Walker is a guy that's uh, pretty durable, too. He's played a lot of positions um, throughout high school. He's played tight end, fullback, quarterback, wide receiver, <laughs> linebacker. And he's played everywhere, pretty much, except the secondary that I've seen. So far, so I mean, and he's not really injured that much either. He's always there. Um, hasn't missed too many games. So uh, he's a, he's a guy high IQ, like you were saying in the intro. Another guy that's uh, all academic and just you can tell he has really good football IQ. It's not as well as academic IQ. So. Uh, another guy that I think that will have success on the next level. I think that he will have to get his uh, he will have to get better in space. We captain over McKenzie out of Auburn. You know, you want to talk about a guy that I'm high on, uh, the SEC, the physical conference. And uh, as last year, you know, uh, a guy that, that, that came out that I was high on, he, he, he hasn't played this year due to concussion issues, but I think that he'll be great. It's a guy named Martro State. He was drafted. Uh, yep. Yeah, he, he's with the Redskins now. And uh, I think Casanova, he has some similar, some similar traits. He's a very tough football player, plays downhill, feels holes. Um, and like like you said, Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith is the best linebacker on the board, in my opinion. Uh, from mm-hmm. Notre Dame, yeah, Jalen Smith's the best linebacker on the board, in my opinion. But uh, Casanova, I, I really like him. I think that he will have success if he gets into the right system. I think he has to work on, you know, his hips to get better in space. But in between the tackles, I think he's the best linebacker on the board. The only problem I have is a guy who's he plays and his body doesn't support the way he plays. I worry a little bit about that when a guy is built like he is, but plays like he plays. Like his style is well suited to being about 246 pounds, and he's probably 227. So I'm hoping, you know, if he's going to play the way he plays, he needs to put on a little more mass. If he's going to play like a like an old school, you know run stuffer, he, he's built, unfortunately, like a Malcolm Smith type, but he doesn't run like a Malcolm Smith type. Exactly. Well, well what do you think about uh, Chris Frost, also another, another backer? Well, Chris uh, Frost, is, yeah, he's, he's, he is a guy that his body at least suits the way he plays. He's that spur, you know, sort of hybrid guy. Sky Moore is a better version of the same kid, basically. But, yeah, so there's a lot of those guys now. We talked about that. You could have a whole ranking. I may end up doing a whole ranking of Spurs, you know, guys who are basically safeties who are, you know, six, seven pounds over the, 
you know, normal weight of a safety who have been moved to playing linebacker. You know, we talked about that with guys like Sua Craven, who I, I, I still in my mind see a safety who wants to play football, but I understand that, you know, I guess he's being evaluated as a linebacker now. But a lot of these guys, I mean, Chris Frost, if he came along in the 1970s or 1980s, he'd, he'd be a safety. Yeah, he doesn't even weigh yeah. 20 pounds. And when you say a safety, when you say a guy like that, when you, when you, when you throw that out there, the first thing that pops in my mind is a guy like Terrence Smith out of Florida State. That's, mm-hmm. He is definitely a safety. He's safety at safety ability. He's he he may be two hundred and twenty pounds, but he's not he's not very big at all. You know, he's he's six four, long frame, but he can't play safety because he doesn't have the coverage skills to play safety. So he has to play an outside backer. Uh, you know, that's why I say I feel like the athleticism from a linebacker's perspective is down this year because the guys are smaller, which they are athletic. They, they, it's a very athletic group. But from a linebacker's perspective, when you have guys at 220 trying to fill the hole against uh, Adrian Peterson or an Eddie Lacy <laughs> on the next level, it's not. It just doesn't physics doesn't work out in their favor. Yeah, we we actually talked a little bit about that, Jim. Uh, particularly, I don't know if you know Jim's work, but Jim Coburn is a guy that does a tremendous amount of work with metrics, production metrics, athletic metrics, age metrics, a lot of work. And one of the things that we discussed is that this guy, some of these guys, you said, you know, they, they, you, you get a feeling they're good athletes, but you're forgetting is that the physics portion of it, speed score, you know, which factors in body mass, lets you know that, you know, a 208-pounder who's running 4.55 isn't more athletic than a 232-pounder who's running 4.58. You know, it's, it's yeah. the other way around because the other guys – bring in more with it. Um, Jim, what's your, I mean, we talked about it a little bit last night, but, and you and I both sort of agreed that we think people are a little bit lower than maybe they should be, but what are some of the things that you think mark this class of linebackers? Like, what do you see when you look at the class as a whole? Um, I just see a really good class from, you know, top to bottom. I think in terms of guys, you know, like Jalen Smith, Reggie Ragland, uh, you know, Tyler Medikevich, Miles Jack. I mean, there. this is kind of a class where there's at least two guys that have a really good shot of being uh, pro bowler type guys, you know, really good all pro possibilities in terms of what they can bring to the table as a linebacker. And then you have about 10 other guys that are going to be starting NFL linebackers at the next level. I mean, I mean, just in terms of my list of guys, I mean, I, these are guys I just really like, you know, which is something to say. Is I, I really like Jalen Smith. I really like Ragland. I'm a big fan of Skibby Wright. Unfortunately, he got the injury, but I'm, I'm still a big fan of his. Uh, Manikiewicz, Kentrell Brothers, Miles um, Jack, Blake Martinez, Steve Longa, Jalen Reels, you know Jalen Reeves, Maven, you know from Tennessee is a guy I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Uh, Joshua Perry at Ohio State, Josh Forrest. Uh, I mean, all the guys I named are guys that I I see having success filling one of the many uh, positions uh, at the next level in terms of four three outside linebackers, four three inside linebackers. Three, four inside linebackers, uh, and I, I think that this is a really strong class just because of the depth 
And I know that a lot of people go, well, who cares about death? But, you know, I, I, that's, and those are just the guys I really like. I mean, there's other guys that I like, but I don't really, I don't really like. So uh, I think that this is a good class because you have a ton of different, ton of linebackers, a ton of linebackers that do many different things uh, in terms of variety. And they, and you also have guys who do things at a high level that are also are, you know, are different in terms of, I mean, this is a class in terms of, do you need a, you need a 4-3 middle linebacker? Well, we got that for you. You need a 4-3 outside linebacker, you know, will linebacker? Oh, we got a bunch of those guys that are really good. Uh, you need a, you need an elephant linebacker, you know, a giant elephant. Oh, well, we got that too. Uh, you can play at a high level. Well, you need a, a, a strong side linebacker, you know, rush the passer and do all that kind of stuff as well, kind of, you know, do do the trifecta in terms of stuff like that. Oh, we got that as well. So, like, this is a good class because just, there's tons of variety in every every position. You have a guy there that I think is going to play at a pretty, you know, high level, uh, which is something you can't always <laughs> say in other classes. Bill, can I ask you guys, you and uh, Jim, about uh, Tony Connor? You think he got is he more of a linebacker or a safety in your guys' opinion? Well, and that's that's one of the things we're talking about. There's not really that much of a the way the game's played. What's Dale? I mean, I'm I'm not being funny, but what's Dale Buchanan, Don? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, and he's because he's a guy I kind of like too. I just don't know what he is. <laughs> really, I just like him. He's and and nowadays it's okay. That didn't used to be okay. You know, when I was coming up and scouting, people hated tweeners. Oh, really, tweeners. Blah, blah, blah. Now, now they like them. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. okay now. Very true. Very true. You, you can be a tweeter. We can still like you. And uh, well, first, you don't have a choice. You know, oh, we go ahead. And, and I heard that uh, you guys had had a kid from uh, UCA that was supposed to be on this. Uh, was it Ricky Wyatt? Yeah, I'm, Ricky, I'll reconnect with him. I think he ran into a um, bad cell coverage area or something. But, yeah, he's he's going to be on. Um, t- if you know about him, tell us a little bit about him. Well, I was just going to say, Ricky Wyatt, uh, I was just uh, – I know that – because I will be down in Miami at the FBS Bowl. Uh, I know that he'll be playing in it. And uh, I just think that the class, the upper tier guys in the class, the Division One guys, the guys that are supposed to get drafted and everything, they are leaving the door open for a lot of small school guys because a lot of small school backers are coming in, 235, 245, 240, and some teams are looking for bulk. Teams are looking for bulk. Cause you, you, you know, just you coming in, you're 225 playing linebacker. The the chances of you getting hurt or stopping the run. It's, it's it's less likely, you know. You you know you still be a good football player, undersized guy. Still be a very good football player, but when you get three hundred and twenty five pound lineman on you, you get another two hundred twenty five pound running back running down that line back, run, running down that line that lineman's back. You know it, it. You know you can't get off the box, and that's why I think a lot of small school guys like Ricky Wyatt will get in, will get a chance, and uh, some of these guys that are getting, they're going to get drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Uh, they will be getting cut. I do believe that because when the pads come on on, the, on, the, on a physical level from the NFL to college, it's a total different world, total different game. So I feel like a lot of guys leave, a lot of guys leave the door open for a lot of small school guys that are coming in. They're, 
there are more physical football players than the top tier guys. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to some of these guys we talked about, including, you know, what happens with a guy like Tony Conner at the next level, what happens to even Miles Jack. I mean, a lot of these guys are sub-230. Not all of them, but a really large number of the guys we discussed are, are not quite 230 pounds. Uh, I mean, even a guy like Eric Stryker, you know, who people sort of rave about his pass rushing skills, but that kid, you know, I have it on pretty good authority that, you know, in, in maybe after Thanksgiving he might have broken 220. But he's played most of his career in the upper two teams, you know, 217. Hey, Randy Gregory played in the upper 215. So, <laughs> yeah. Randy Gregory is a, is a special athlete, though. Randy Gregory is very special. Yeah, but even he gets, you know, bounced around yeah, a little bit. Eric Stryker has more career, but. Uh, well, yeah, almost. I think Stry- uh, we, we, guy, guy we had on yeah. Tuesday, uh, I think he had Eric Stryker at 218. He does the things for uh, the depth chart for uh, yep. 247 yep. sports. Um, I think it was like 223 when he started camp that he lost like that's right. I mean, that's, that's the heaviest he's ever been in his life. Yes. And it didn't last. <laughs> it didn't last. But yes, he managed to get up to that right before camp. But he's an edge safety, as I and I know that you guys are gonna like edge safety. But like I'm quoting that term because it's, it's a and you should it. it's coming. It's a thing now. Where more and more, you know, more and more college teams are taking their safeties, or at least their 215 pound guy that they don't know what to do with, and putting right. them on the edge, and telling them, "Hey, speed rush," and it works a yep. lot. You know, in terms of Look, the type, they I, we could turn you into a possession receiver, or we could turn you into a, you know, a running back. But we can get more value out of you. You know, even if you don't really know how to play defensive back at a high level, by playing you in a sort of defensive back esque position, where you're in space, you can make plays, and then you know, we bring you. You know, we basically can have a, a four-person rush turn to a five-person rush, even if it's a delayed situation because you run four-four-eight. You, you can still get there. Yep, and that's the only problem for extractors because, in terms of what he does well, he he does well in terms of pass rushing and kind of being a, you know, strong side linebacker type role. In terms of, you know, dropping back and covering people. It's not his strength of his game. It is not the strength of his game. <laughs> it, it doesn't work out well. and It's a I, victory I for, for the other team every time he drops into coverage. Yeah, and, and I, I'd hate for that to be the sort of death moment, you know, where teams are like, he can't do that, so that's it. But, you know, it may be that, but at least try to use, you know, use him the best way he can be, you know, used, I guess. I'm just the type of guy that, that that's big on the personnel. And I feel like, you know, why would I go out and get uh, a 225-pound linebacker that's not that great in space, but he can rush the edge when I can go get a 200-pound or a 205-pound defensive back that can rush the edge and drop back in cover. Yeah. And that's, that's the great question about the future career of Eric Stryker is it'll take two things happening for him to see. One is somebody have to believe it. You have to say, you know what? 
We don't care if you don't weigh 220 pounds or if you barely weigh 220 pounds. We love your ability to do this thing that you do well, and we can live with the things you don't do well, and you've got to figure out a way to use that kid. I mean, I rolled my eyes a little bit when when uh, Bruce Irwin went as early as he did because he was kind of a one-trick Tony. And they managed to teach him kind of sort of partially some other tricks. But they still pay a pretty penny for a guy who doesn't do everything well. I mean, you know, they play him as this conventional Sam linebacker, and he's better in coverage than he was coming out of West Virginia, certainly, where he was, you know, just a pass rusher pretty much. I mean, I'm pretty much 100% of the time. Now he shows he can do some other things, but they, he's not, for what they, once again, I feel like they overpaid. I guess it just comes down to that because he's not, great enough at anything he's doing right now on the NFL level to me to justify the position where he's drafted. And now you're saying you're going to, do, you're going to try sort of a similar experiment with a guy who's about 20 pounds lighter. You better really have a good plan. I guess that's what it comes down to with a guy like Stryker. Yeah. Or look at Jalen Ramsey, another edge safety, right? I mean, right. he comes down and he does that better than actually everything else he does. Rushing turns. Yes, yeah, that's the best what part of the game. Really well, it's just rushing the passer from the edge. Yeah. I mean, he swats more balls than JJ Watt does. If you were to do a little, <laughs> like little chart or something, you know. Yeah, that's it's funny because they don't differentiate between passes defensed or whether pass broken up. It, they don't say where if you look at his stats where he broke them up. So where most defensive backs are breaking the ball 12, 15, 17, 20 yards down the field, he's doing it two or three yards within the last strip most of the time. Exactly. He's the edge safety. The new position right. guy. Edge safety, right. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, man, you've got to get it out there because Jim Coburn, that's all you, baby. And I, I give you 100% credit. I, I, I've started tooting out, you know. I'm going to do some edge safety rankings this year, I think, inspired by you. So beyond the edge safety, let's talk about some uh, – the old-fashioned run stuffer is no longer quite most people's flavor. They savor nowadays, but there are some guys out there, including the small school kids. Uh, Alex Brown – I'm sorry, Alex Brown in mind. Alex, Alex Green at uh, Valparaiso is about 62 and a half and about 239 pounds. He's not huge, but he's, you know, full size, and he's terrific against the run. Um, now, obviously, if you come from Valpo, you need to test very, very well you know, and or get invited to an all-star game and just tear it up in practices to even get drafted. But he's a guy that I would at least consider day three, and I think he'll hang around the, the league for eight to ten years. Tough kid, smart kid. Uh, can actually stack and shed, right? There's some, there's some stackers and shedders, not many, but there actually are some in this draft class, which always gets me excited, though. I guess people don't care about that stuff anymore. Stack and shed, eh? That's what gets you up in the morning. Well, a small school guy, when you talk about, um, you know, uh, run stoppers or guys of versatility, Justin Gil- just Justin Gilchrist from uh, Fairmont State University. Yep. I think that he's pretty good. You know, I think he's a good football player. He can go down, put his hand in the dirt. He can play outside backer. He can play the inside backer. And he has good size. You know, he's uh, listed at 6'4", 245. But, uh, I- Which no, means he's 6'3 and a quarter. Which means that you know, yeah. I can live with that. Yeah, I, I can live with that. He has good length, good size, you know. Um, I 
honestly think he could get drafted as well. You know, he has great reading great shots. Obviously, he has to have a great pro day, and uh, he has to dominate down uh, Miami at the FBS Bowl. But I think that's a kid that can get drafted. I'm... Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of them do each year. Uh, the issue, one is getting someone to see you. That's the first first issue when your kid coming from Valpo or Claremont State or Cal Poly or whatever. You, you first got to be seen. That's your first challenge. You know, hey, over here, somebody's seen me. So once you do that, now you've got to convince somebody to the point where they're going to go to their boss and say, yeah, 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 I know you like that kid at Arkansas, but this kid at the school you've basically never heard of is better. And you've got to be able to sell that to your boss because this is your job. You know, if you're wrong, they, if you miss on the kid from Arkansas, they kind of say, well, you know, we understand. You miss, you miss on the kid from Fairmont State, and you're looking for, looking for another job. Well, this, this is this is the thing, you know. I used to uh, help out scouting with the Eagles. Um, this is the thing. You can bring in these guys on yep. a three-day rookie contract. You know, you don't yep. have to trash these guys. Just bring these guys right. in on for, until a rookie mini camp. And when you bring them in right. to a rookie mini camp, you're going to have seven on seven. You're going to have all of these things where they're going to compete against that guy from Arkansas. So now you can put them side by side in the room and say, hey. This kid over here at Fairmont State is better than this guy over here playing at the University of Arkansas. So when you put them together in a, uh, in a rookie minicamp, that's why I love the rookie minicamp because a lot of guys yep. feel like, oh, it's just three days. You're going to only get a helmet, take a picture, and you're gone. No, you need to actually line up. <laughs> you better you better not have that as your attitude or that's exactly what will happen. <laughs> yeah, I've, re- I've had guys tell me, you know, three-day minicamp, you know, you just – I'm just going to get a helmet and just say, hey, thank you, I was there. But, no, that's not the case at all. You get to line up against their number one draft pick, and you get to line up and, and compete against those guys and to say, hey, even though I went to East, East Texas University, I'm better than this kid that went to the Texas A&M. And you can show yep. it right there and there. Right. I mean, it's, it's, that's a real attitude test um, is the situation because – you only get but so many reps. Every one of your reps needs, especially when you're, like I said, that kid that nobody really even knows who you are, where you're from, each one of your reps needs to be outstanding. You can't phone a single one in. You can't take one off. You've got to kill whoever that is that you're up against basically every single time. And it does happen. I mean, it, there's guys, tryout guys, and, and you said mini-camp guys, camp, guys who brought in the quote-unquote camp. Tony Romo was brought in to be a camp arm. They didn't bring Tony Romo in to be the future quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. He had camp hard. They had, in that same, at that same time, it was like a who's who of bust quarterbacks, but look at, the, look at the guys they had in at the time. Chad Hutchinson, right, this big, huge power arm kid from Stanford who, in fact, all these guys had baseball in their backgrounds, which is part of why they didn't make it in football. But you had Chad Hutchinson. You had uh, Quincy Carter. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Quincy Carter. Um, and, um, oh gosh, did Henson in that camp too? Might have been true Henson. But yeah, they yeah, had quite a melange of quarterbacks. They had quite a melange of quarterbacks in there. And so this kid was just there to, you know, give him a break and like, be a camp on. Nobody was thinking, you know, here's our future QB. And he came in there, learned the offense really quickly, asked good questions, worked and worked and worked. And, you know, he started to notice. And they started to notice these other guys, you know, despite all of their – I think, okay, Dom is our, our, our recruiting guy. You might be able to answer this for me. I think 
is that a five star and two four stars between those three guys uh, that Romo knocked off? Who's your name? I heard Drew Henson. But Chad Hutchinson, Drew Henson, who I know was a five star, but he was the player of the decade or whatever, supposedly. But it, yeah, Drew Henson, Chad Hutchinson, and Quincy Carter. I think that was two a five and star and two, and a, or two fives and a four. Is that what it was? Two fives, um, Chad and uh, Drew, and then uh, Quincy, and then really good baseball players too, which is weird. Yeah, they all so pushed their, they all push their problem. Actually, yeah. Yeah. they were really good baseball players. Yeah, I know Chad uh, threw sidearm a little bit. Um, Chad Hudson, and because uh, he, he's a, he's a quarterback coach now um, in San Diego, but uh, Drew Henson, of yeah, uh, yeah, same, yeah, I know, right? That's the worst quarterbacks too now, doesn't he? Ironically enough. Uh yeah I I don't I think so I know he does uh, he's a radio host uh, he does some radio yeah. up in uh, yeah. Farmington Michigan or whatever and I right. think he also does I mean I don't think he does a full time but I think he has a quarterback camp up there oh yeah I wouldn't be surprised we'll be surprised at all <laughs> uh, well it's yeah. basically free money right it's, 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 I mean yeah I'm sure was, is that, I, yeah that's you know that guy that you know obviously. <laughs> Like you said, player of the decade, pretty much. You know, I mean, I mean, I had people who, you know, who do what you do, recruiting people, tell me we found the next John Elway. I had people say that to me, to my face. I can believe it. I mean, obviously, I wasn't around then doing recruiting, but um, it, it, it's hard, it's rare that uh, you know, me as a young guy hearing hearing a lot about. It's like I was around though because I've heard so much about how good he was um, in high school. Um, even in college, you know, in Michigan. So, uh, well, yeah. I mean, the Tony Romo starts away from <laughs> he took steps away from Tom Brady, which he's never forgotten to this very day. Yeah, and Tony wasn't uh, he, he was not a star at all. He was no star, zero. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I I certainly thought Drew Henson was going to be the next year away. There's some, there's some things that gave me um, pause about him, and not physically. I mean. Typically, he's everything you want. You, he's, he's up there with David Carr amongst guys who had, like, if you wanted to basically design an NFL quarterback, you'd design a guy like Drew Henson or David Carr. But I saw the way he handled when he got pulled. Like, when Tom Brady got pulled for Drew Henson, he went over and screamed at people, you know. And, you know, so like you see him even do now. You saw him basically go a little bit eight bleep on people when he got pulled for Henson. And when later they pulled Henson for, for Brady, Henson looked like his dog died, you know? I mean, like he hung his head and kind of shuffled or whatever. Like he just, I mean, of course he's younger. He's a couple years younger than, than Brady. Maybe it was part of it, but he just looked defeated as opposed to fired up. And yeah, I, I filed that away in my mental Rolodex from all those years ago. And I saw him have the same bad body language when he was a pro. Yeah, he didn't have that tenacity uh, as a as a Elway as a Brady. He didn't have that same tenacity, that same fire. You know, once he was beat, he was beat. Right. Yeah. That's a good one his, I know one of his co- coaches, uh, I believe, said that in high school that he never he never had anything bad happen to him in his life. Really, he never had to handle any <laughs> adversity. Um, I mean, he had a perfect life outside of football. And yeah. you know, on the field, he never—he was never benched for anything. He was no what, point, point guard, point guard, third base, pitcher, quarterback. Uh, played like safety a little bit too, punter. Like he was—he was so good, you know, everything. So he never faced uh, any adversity, especially not being benched. You know, he probably just didn't know how to handle it. To be honest, because um, he never faced anything that bad, um, you know. And like you said, you saw it. Um, 
I think they talked about it a little bit during the Tom Brady uh, the six uh, thing a little bit when they interviewed him. He just didn't know how to really handle adversity well because he had never been through anything. And that's part of my love and affection for the small school guys is that most of them have been through it a little bit. They've had some experiences that taught them that this is not going to be handed to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, that's why I love small school guys as well, small school guys. They, uh, I feel as if, you know, they, 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 they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder. Like, they know, like, this is it. You know, I feel like the bigger school guys, they feel like, oh, if I get cut from here, I'll get another chance. I feel like the kid that's coming from uh, Delta State, he's saying, hey, this is it. I have to. I have to dominate this. And I feel like the guy's probably coming from Georgia. I'm not saying that he's saying that you know, but he had. He feels that he, as if he has a cushion in the back of his mind. Like, hey, if I get up here, I'll get another chance. You know, I feel like the small school guys. They've been through more, more so of a of a struggle. Not even more so the small school guys, the junior college guys. Those guys, I am extremely high on because uh, the junior college guys, they usually come in, they're high. And uh, productivity, and they they've been through a lot. The only real issue when I talk to my friends in coaching and why I tell them to shy away is because some of those guys are used to lone wolfing it. I've had guys on who've been on my show talking about their uh, junior college experiences. and had guys straight up tell them, "Look, dog, I, I I know I'm supposed to contain on this play, but I gotta get my stacks. I, I'm gonna stack this dude." <laughs> guys, you know, a little a bit sometimes because they know they've got to get noticed because they want to get to the next level. And so sometimes you got to beat some of that out of them a little bit to get them back in the thinking team and not so much thinking their own stats. Yeah. 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 And, and I was telling, uh, as a matter of fact, I was talking to a, to a scout from uh, Edmund, uh this last night, actually. And uh, the thing is, you know, guys, Small school guys, you know, numbers, they're good, but at the same time, you know, small school guys, you can't always focus on numbers. You have to look at the system. You have to look at the discipline. You have to look and see how how they play their job, you know. If a guy, if a guy's job is to roam shoulder, you know, and, and he goes in and makes a tackle, I want the guy who's going to roam shoulder and, and do it right, you know, instead of the guy who's, who's making the tackle two yards behind the backfield. I want the guy to stand there and roam shoulder and play, play to play right. So since we have a, entered any sort of a specialization and there are guys who can make a living, we mentioned Malcolm Smith earlier, right, who are making a living at least in part because they do one thing particularly well. There's guys who are, you know, cover linebackers, guys who can, you don't get all queasy about the thought of them having to, to stay with Jamal Lewis on a wheel route like you would a lot, some other, many other linebackers. Thinking of just guys who you know are good in coverage, uh, Ryan, who are some of the guys that you're excited about seeing how they play out the next level who who are good and can stay on the field for that third down? Uh, some third down linebackers that I would say that I am uh, high on. Uh, really, the, the group, actually. You know, the group, they, to me, in my opinion, the group, they're all third down linebackers. They're all coverage guys. They're all guys, they're not, not coverage guys, but they're all smaller guys that, that – there are there are you know swifter DB body frame type of guys you know I'm not going to say that they're great in coverage because I don't I don't feel as if they are good in coverage but I feel like they're better than the average you know than the average linebacker in coverage but 
athletically, I wouldn't. I don't really like him that much. But uh, the guy who I would say that I'm the highest on out of all these guys is uh, Frank Shannon from Oklahoma. Uh, you know, I feel like he can stay on the field all all three downs actually, but for the most part, third down linebacker, I feel like he can rush the passer, and I feel like he could uh, take it back. He could cover it back. I feel like he will have to transition from inside linebacker to outside linebacker. Okay. Same question for you, Don, but obviously the Pac-12 is a passing league uh, par excellence, and a lot of the best pass-catching running backs in football, in fact, one of them got moved to wide receiver, uh, are in the Pac-12, and they can put some strain on your linebacking core. Who are, you, who are some of the guys you think are best in coverage amongst the linebacker class? Best in coverage, uh, Sue Cravens, I would start off with, um, being one of the best in coverage to me. Miles Jack went healthy. Um, you know, this is banged up right now. Joe Walker, a guy I mentioned earlier. Um, Deion Hollins, too. Um, he does a, he's probably better in coverage to me. Um, we'll see him today. You know, uh, I know the USC's been running the ball more, but when they, when they throw to Tyler Pratt or McNamara, whoever at tight end, or, you know, whether it's Juju uh, Schuster, uh, Smith Schuster, um, he'll be covering them. Uh, he's pretty light on his feet. Uh, he's a pretty quick guy. And so, I mean, he's a, he's a guy like a lot of linebackers that can cover. Um, also, um, gosh, uh, name slips my mind, kid from Colorado, uh, Derek McCart- McCartney. I think uh, Coach McCartney's son, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, That's correct. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I, I like him in coverage as well. Um, he does a pretty good job. I mean, yeah, there's linebacker in the Pac-12 isn't that great this year. I'm gonna be honest. Um, it's more secondary and up front and everything. Obviously, the offense. So, I mean, those are just a few of the names. Uh, I mean, I, I go young. I mean, a young guy that I like a lot. Um, out of uh, out of Oregon, two is a uh, Col- not excuse me, not Coleman. Um, out of out of USC is uh is uh Scott Felix, too. Um, he's kind of like a tweener. Who I mean, SC has a bunch of those guys, but uh, Scott Felix and uh, Porter Gustin, both of them. Um, Porter hasn't got a chance to play much lately. He's kind of been dealing with a bad back, but he's really good in coverage. Um, and Scott Felix is obviously really good at both. Um, well, not really good at both, but he's pretty good at both. Um, I think he's better in coverage. I think he's better in coverage, though, um, to be honest. And he's kind of, like I said, he's kind of a tweener that doesn't just fit sometimes. That's why he doesn't get as much playing time as we thought he was in the beginning of the season. But, yeah, those are, I guess, a few names. Uh, uh, Cal's got a got one, too. Um, Dickerson up there, I believe, um, too. So there's a few. There's, there's some good ones. I do like what uh, Nickerson can do as far as covering as well. Would you, would that, you say the Pac-12 has the best covering linebacker? Um, as a whole, no, but I think Phil Cavins is the best coverage linebacker in the country. Um, just him, but I don't think as a whole they are. Yeah, I mean, he, the, covers, the big, he covers. He covers the really big problem well. well after linebackers to cover. You have to cover if you're going to play in those two conferences. If you're playing the Big Twelve, you're playing the Pac Twelve. You have to cover, or else you can't play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to be able to cover some. I just, uh, I don't feel like they're doing a good job at it. They're covering. <laughs> they're trying to, but <laughs> they're trying. <laughs> I mean, I've looked at, you know, obviously, you know, that's what I watch, you know, actual after dark stuff. I mean, it's, it's not the greatest, you know what I mean? But uh, there's, a, like I said, there's a lot of young guys at the position. If you look through the starting linebackers, uh, a lot of young underclassmen type of guys. So I think it'll get better. But right now, it's not great. Um, out of the power five, it's probably the worst. For covers linebackers. 
Well, you know, the guy that, I mean, obviously everyone loves Jalen Smith, and they're right to love him. Um, my personal favorite, though he might not be the best in the country, but my personal favorite one back to watch is still Tyler Medikevich at Temple, and partially because he leads the team in everything. <laughs> I mean, you don't see that too often where a guy leads the team in interceptions, passes defense, uh, tackles for loss, sacks, um, let's see what else. Um, Basically, everything on defense. He's look at look at look at the in the in the Temple, you know, record book or whatever, and it, he's there in everything. Total tackles. Uh, I mean, there's no. He's a stat stuffer. You know, he's a guy that does everything, and he runs the the defense. I mean, he's the the brains of the operation as well. I hope he tests well enough. I get the feeling he's not a freak athlete, but I think people might be selling him a little short in terms of his pure athletic ability and whatever he's doing athletically, he's doing it well enough to get there before everybody else on track lead any play. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does, and I hope he gets to go to the senior bowl because I think that would really help him. I think it'll open some eyes to people who are sort of thinking of him as just a try-hard guy. I think he's a little more than just that. Yeah, uh, he, he should definitely be at the senior bowl, I would hope. <laughs> a, a, a guy that's you know, he's not a senior, but like, like I said earlier, he, he's not a senior, but he has that long frame, that six-four frame, and uh, he's pretty athletic, pretty fast. Terrence Smith, you know, uh, outside linebacker from Florida State. Uh, I feel like he could really be a good, a, cover, uh, a really good pass rusher, third down rusher, or a guy that drops into coverage in the in the uh, NFL once he learns uh, to cover better. You know, I feel like I feel like he will get better. As time as time goes on, I feel like by year two or year three, he could be one of the best third down linebackers in the in national football in the, in the NFL. Yeah, and if you're just seeing the ACC, uh, North Carolina has a guy that you know he's he's a guy that's probably gonna be a special teams slash reserve guy at the next level, but he's sort of the very poor man's version of Tyler Medikevich at USC. Um, and he's one of those guys that came up the hard way. He wasn't super highly recruited. He wasn't, uh, you know, a guy that they expected to to start for them, a guy that had to fight for everything that he has. And, and like I said, those are guys that I always you know, have a soft spot for. When you – I'll start with the, the, the what is it, uh, instincts, football IQ, whatever term you want to use. Uh, that's a grade that varies wildly from player to player. Some people will see a guy – and give him a really good grade for football IQ. Uh, sometimes when he's, I don't want to say he's getting lucky. I mean, I'm sure better put it. But sometimes a guy is not doing what he's supposed to be doing, but it turns out to be a great play, and then somebody says, oh, wow, you know, what football IQ? Um, I'm going to ask you, Jim, how do you assign that grade? How do you how, – because that's a grade that I see assigned very strangely sometimes from place to place. Um, I mean, I judge it by uh, how well they anticipate uh, what the offense is doing to them on the football field. Um, you, it, you you get a good sense of are they are they acting? Is their body going in the direction it needs to go, and are they correct in that judgment? Uh, you know, it's it's reading, but it's also anticipating what the offense is doing and putting their body in position to make plays. Uh, there's tons of guys that uh, it's a little different than actually making the play. Cause like, like one of the good examples, like Eric Kendricks, Eric Kendricks was a guy 
that every single time I saw the ball snap, he knew exactly where that play was going. He didn't always right. get there. Uh, sometimes there'd be something in his way, and he'd have to fight through trash and not 100% fight through that trash, or he'd have to, uh, you know, something would happen, an obstacle would get in his way, and he would have to deal with it. But he knew exactly where the play was going. Uh, he knew exactly where that run play was going. He knew exactly where uh, those other plays were going. And I kind of judge it by, are they doing it consistently? Are they consistently reading what the offense is doing and reacting in a manner to stop what the offense is doing consistently? Because, like you said, there's a lot of times where a guy goes in there, blows up a running play, and then neighbor goes, oh, football IQ, look. Look what he did. But then when you watch the whole game or you watch three games, you go, wow, he only did that two times. Like, And the, a couple other times, he was reading it and he was going to the, you know, flowing to the right when the play was going to the left or flowing to the left when the play was going to the right or, you know, or, or falling for pump fake, play action, you name it. Uh, given too much in terms of false steps uh, or, or and also in terms of coverage, you know, kind of judging like, okay, is he doing what he needs to be doing in this play? Is he passing you off the coverage well? Does he, you know, are they asking him to do a lot of stuff in coverage? Because I got to be honest with you, a lot of times I get really, uh, not not pissed off, but I, I think it's really sad Sometimes they have that little inside linebacker. All they do is have them drop in the zone in the middle of the field. Uh, and and that's just a wasted, you know, coverage guy. Because he's, cause he's, he's not going to affect anything. Like, he's just <laughs> – it's like with McKinney. You know, when, when Bernard McKinney, was, they would drop him in the, the middle of the field and, like, okay, he's not going to be doing anything there. He's just sitting there. Like, he's – it's it's a wasted – kind of move, you know, he could be doing something else just dropping in the middle of the field uh, because he's not really, and, and also just because he doesn't really know what's going on anyways. I mean, he just had that look about him when he was dropping back that he wasn't hundred percent sure what was going on. So it's really just, you know, looking at their eyes, looking at, at their uh, feet, looking at their, their body and just watching enough games to, to judge. Okay. Is he seeing the field well? Is he anticipating what the offense is doing? And is he putting himself in position to make a play? Uh, a lot of guys, I I don't know why, but a lot of times guys don't uh, judge it that well. And I'm not saying I'm special at it or anything like that. I just think that that's something where I think a lot of people, you know, kind of like you said, a guy makes one good play, but is he consistently making that play? Is he missing that play on occasion? You know, sometimes, like I said, a guy will make a quote unquote great play, but he was out of position. He blown his assignment. He just bailed out. Of, you know, somebody made a misread, or you know, he ends up being in a passing lane that he had no business being in. You know, but but it turns out that the ball you know, hits his chest like the the quarterback collectively read what the team was supposed to be, but this guy completely violated his, his responsibility and went to the wrong place which occasionally looks like a brilliant play if you don't know 
what the guy's coverage is possibly supposed to be. Like, oh, wow, you know, look what he did. But, uh, oh, sure. Supposed, uh, supposed to be covering that back who's wide open over there. That's what he's supposed to be doing. Oh, exactly. You know, it's like Manti Tail. You know, that year in Notre Dame, there was a he lot had a of couple of plays where people were like crazy oh, football you. like you, but he completely blew his drop. <laughs> hello. Hello, ball. Thank you. Uh, I don't know where this came from, but thanks. You know, <laughs> Uh, which, I, and I'm not trying to say, you know, he definitely was a decent, you know, uh, college linebacker, but he's a good um, football player. But, but I just was he a guy that had incredible pass in, instincts against the passing game? No, two or three of those plays, like you said, the ball found him. Yeah, he just had a way of kind of rolling it to his waist. But yeah, but that that's the only way I would really explain it. It's, it's, and, and when you watch four games, five games worth of a guy, you start to see the differences. You know, you start to see, okay, here's a guy that is, and I hate to say cuckold, but that's the term that I've just been using because I don't have any other better way, better way to put it, is, that, is there's guys that are just watching plays get made and guys that are making plays. And the guys that are making plays are the guys that are anticipating what the offense is doing and putting themselves in position to make plays. And the other guys, are sitting there going, I don't know what's happening. I'm not 100% sure what, what this play is, but I'm just going to sit here until I know. And <laughs> I'm just saying, like, sometimes that's – that's I. Yeah, or that's you like get the guessers. Thing. You get guys who don't know, but they're guessing, and they'll just go. And well, when they're yeah. right, they look like geniuses. Yeah. Yeah, when they're right, they look like geniuses, but then when they're wrong, they – It looks really bad. It looks really, really bad. Really wrong. Yeah. It's touchdown usually when they're wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'm as big a Troy Palomalo fan as ever lived, but Troy was a guesser. He was an educated guesser, you know, <laughs> but he was a guesser. He would get it in his head. He'd look at something like, oh, man, I think I saw this on tape. And he would say, okay, right, 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 okay, they got a wing, a line uh, to, you know, the okay, I'm pretty sure they're going to do this. I'm going to go run over here and buzz into the flat, which is not my actual responsibility. I'm going to run over here into the flat, and I think it will blow something up or maybe get a pick. I hope I'm right. And, of course, when he was right, he would, you know, you know he would just, you know, knock some guy, butt over tea kettle, or, you know, get a pick six. But when he was wrong, you know, oh. And luckily, you know, for many years they had, you know, his partner in crime back there who would sort of cover up some stuff for him. People always sort of slept on Ryan because, he wasn't the guy freelancing all over the place. He was the guy, you know, luckily, he had a, that was the guy with a super high football IQ. He was like, okay, well, Troy's decided to leave his, his responsibility. Let me, let me shade over that way. Um, and, of course, with linebackers, it's particularly hard sometimes because, you know, we don't always know what coverage is being run. I mean, sometimes you can say, okay, that's so I know what this is. I mean, there's times you can see what, what's going on, but there's times we're just we're guessing. You know, as viewers, as exactly what defense they're running, but we know this much: if it's a zone, this guy is going to be dropping into one of these. There's only so many places you can be going, right? There's only, and you see two guys in some of the same place. You may not know who made the mistake, but you can tell somebody went someplace they weren't supposed to go. Yeah. You know, so the question is, who, you know, who did what to whom, or who was the guy that? that made the mistake. That's the only question that sort of remains at that point. So we've talked about 
how guys handle cover responsibilities to some extent. We talked a little bit about run stuffing, which isn't quite as sexy as it used to be. Now, we're not talking so much about the, the edge guys, but there is an art to blitzing. Uh, some of it has to do with being a good actor, you know, um, not tipping your hand too quickly. Uh, some of it has to do with being able to get, get skinny like a running back to some extent, right? Uh, being able to get through that crack and, and, you know, using your hips and using your hands and using your quickness and everything else, body control, to get through an, a tight area and not get, you know, not run into somebody's forearm or shoulder pad or whatever and get knocked off your path because that, that half second is the difference between you getting a sack or the other guy team perhaps getting a touchdown because wow. when you're blitzing, you know, there's fewer guys left in coverage. Um, Ryan, who do you think are some of the best blitzers in this class? And, you know, who are some of the guys you like to see, you know, fire their gun, as they say? Uh, guys I like to see is blitzers in this class. Uh, well, I like Terrence Smith. Like I said, I really like Terrence Smith from Florida State. I thought he frame helps him to, to to get off blocks. He's he's fast enough to be tackled around the edge, and he's his arms are long enough to extend, to punch and extend, dip and rip, and get off blocks. You know, even though he's a junior, I feel like he has the most upside out of all the linebackers in this class. Okay. Uh, same question to you, Donovan. Who are some of the guys you think are the best lifters in the class? Uh, say that one more time. I couldn't quite hear oh, you. I was just saying, Donovan, who who do you think are the, the best blitzers in this class of linebackers? Guys you think do the best job of timing their blitzes and finishing and things like that? Oh, I mean, starts with Sue Cravens again, uh, Eric Stryker out of Oklahoma. Um, I like uh, Leonard Floyd's, uh, both of those guys, Leonard Floyd and uh, Jordan Jenkins uh, out of Georgia, both pretty good rushing the passer. Uh, Raekwon McMillan. Uh, Pretty good rushing the passer as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like uh, the kid um, out of Stanford. I can't – Peter uh, Kala Mbai. I'm going to try my best to say his last name. Um, out of Stanford, I think he does a pretty good job at getting to the quarterback as well. Um, so does uh, Ryan Simmons. Uh, he's got a big game tonight, obviously, you know, in Bedlam, um, Oklahoma game, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. So, yeah, those are just a few guys, I guess. Excuse me, I would say that I, you know, rest the passer really well. Uh, uh, Terrence Smith, you know, um, I don't know your first guess's name, but, yeah, he, he stole Terrence Smith from me because that's a guy that's really, really good athlete and, you know, makes make some pretty big plays, makes the highlight type of plays. Uh, and he'll probably do some today, I'm sure, versus uh, Trayon Harris and the guys from Florida. He'll do a really good job rushing the passer today. And same question for you, Jim. Who do you think are some of the guys who are best, best at, at coming on the blitz? Uh, well, you know, Jim Smith is a guy that he's really good at blitzing because uh, when – okay, when he's not blocked, you don't realize how fast he is until he's there. Uh, so it's – it's the thing where if you if you if you decide not to block him, if you just go the tight ends looking at him going, uh, okay, you want me to run? This? Okay, I'll run this route. Are you sure? You know, like yeah, I'm sure. Okay, all right, all right, uh, all right good luck. <laughs> you know, 
uh, he's gone, man. He's at. The, I mean, the second that ball snaps, he's right. In, he's right in front of the quarterback. It's it's over. Um, he's in terms of just timing his blitzes. In terms of, it's kind of an underrated thing. I think they don't use him enough. With honestly, uh, in terms of uh, getting in there as uh, a blitz, but he's really good in terms of that. Eric Stryker, obviously, like guys mentioned before. Um, uh. I hate to say Jalen Ramsey, but I guess I got I, I just have to. You know? but yes, right. And safety Jalen Ramsey, right, right? I just have to do it, but yeah, he he's really good at timing his blitzes. Um, Ragland's good at it in terms of run blitzes. I would say more so than quarterback blitzes, but you know, uh, in terms of that kind of stuff. Blake Martinez is really good in terms of that, uh, in terms of run blitzes. Um and uh, Jalen Reeves Maven also pretty you know kind of underrated in terms of you know using his speed to get in the backfield and even Tyler Medikevich you know kind of that peekaboo type blitzer you know in terms of <laughs> right you know now you see me now you don't you know type <laughs> thing uh, uh he kind of does that really well in terms of the, the way. Which a lot of it's because of the stunts and stuff, but he has really good footwork with the with the stunts uh, to get him get him in position, a very efficient feat when he comes to that. So I, I would say those guys in particular, but mainly and also Leonard Floyd. I mean, he has to do something right, right? I mean, oh. so, I'm just saying, man. Like you know, he's not, he got to get smashed out against the run, ground into. It's like a meat grinder. It's like pit, you know, and you try to have Flutter Floyd, you know, or not even a meat grinder, really. It's more like a, a bulldozer, you know, crushing something. But um, he's not very good in terms of stopping the run. He's not really good in terms of setting the edge. He's not exactly the best in terms of one-on-one pass rushing. But if you have him as a blitzer and he's unblocked, or at least you put him in a position where he's attacking half a man, yeah, he can do a lot of damage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Josh Zimmer, you still with us, Josh? Hey, yes, sir, I am. Well, first of all, happy holidays to you and your family. I hope you're doing well. Oh, thank you very much. I'm doing fantastic. The, uh, so I'm, you have I'm some sort of – so I can't complain. I was going to say, and you've got some on-the-spot reporting. Um so you can tell us a little about your impressions, obviously, from what's been going on in your neck of the woods football-wise, and then also tell us a little bit about your, your visions of the linebacker class and, and who are some of the guys that you like and why. Uh, well, I, I heard a couple of people talking about him. Um, I really like Sua Craven. Not a whole lot of people really do. They think he's a safety, which I don't necessarily understand why. They're saying that he can't play linebacker, but I think he's proven enough that he can play outside linebacker efficiently. Uh, I like Leonard Floyd, but I just don't know what to do with him yet. Uh, he's still a little light. I think he's yeah. them. And he's not light in terms of how everybody was viewing Vic Beasley last year. You know, Vic Beasley was a 235-pound outside linebacker, maybe 240, you know, and then he weighed 246 in the combine. You know, Leonard Floyd is obviously a lot more stretched out. He's a little bit longer. He's probably maybe 225 as an edge guy. So I would like to see him get thicker. Uh, that way, you know, like Jim said, he doesn't get steamrolled in, in the run game. Because if you want to watch him get steamrolled, just watch the Alabama game. He struggled uh, quite a bit to get off blocks, including blocks 
that were you know tight ends. Um, so he needs to get a little bit stronger and a little bit thicker. Um, I really like Blake Martinez. Um, I don't know who mentioned Blake, but Blake is, he's, I mean, he's kind of the, for me, he's that guy in Stanford. Obviously, he's a middle linebacker, but, I mean, he also makes a lot of plays. He does a really good job of basically recognizing on the run. He does a decent job of fighting through trash. He doesn't have to do it too much because if he plays in the Pac-12, you know, the Pac-12 is all spread out. Uh, but what he's asked to do within that defense, uh, he does a, a fairly good job. Um, I'm still a Scooby guy. You know, I like Scooby. I don't think he's a, a first-round pick, and I'm hoping that based on the season that he's had, he decides to stay back in school uh, for another year. Um, Eric Stryker, um, I think Donovan said uh, Donovan said Eric. I like him, and I don't know why people are hating on his size. Um, I think we can go back maybe five or six years or maybe even later than that uh, and talk about Elvis Gumerville. Uh, people were saying that he was too small to be an outside linebacker or even a defensive end in the NFL. He wasn't going to hack it. Now he's probably one of the best pass rushers in the league. Um, and that's what he's going to be able to do at the next level. Uh, you know, they're not going to ask him to play in coverage. They're going to ask him to just kind of put his hands ground or, you know, stand on the line and rush every play. He's not going to have any coverage responsibility. Uh, so I really like, I really, really like him. Um, other than that, uh, so there's a kid in the, out of the Big Ten. I don't cover. I mean, I don't cover the Big Ten. Montel has a pretty good grip on the Big Ten for us. But uh, I really like Desmond Morgan out of uh, Michigan. Um, I think he's a true inside linebacker. Does a very good job against the run. He's strong, very physical, and he seems like he fits. Just from the games that I've watched, he seems like he fits that Jim Harbaugh mantra of being a tough, you know, blue-collar type kid. I mean, he basically fits well within that defense. Um, I mean, other than that, in terms of true inside, I mean, there's some guys that I like, and obviously Miles Jack, but, you know, we're all wondering just how he's going to look at the combine with that knee. And he's going to be the biggest question because I think everybody's going to be judged off of Miles Jack. You know, he's going to be the number one linebacker in the class if he is able to test at the combine. And, and who knows, maybe he does test at the combine and people will still take him, kind of like a Todd Gurley type situation uh, going there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I this linebacker class for me is not as deep as it was last year in terms of overall talent within the middle. Um, I think there's more talent on the edge, but again, now we're getting to the point where we need to start uh, diagnosing who is a true defensive end, who's a true outside linebacker, and maybe who are some of those guys that fit within those tweeners. Yeah, and and one thing we're saying is that the the tweener thing's no longer a kiss of death because of the way the game is played. Uh, they've they've made it so that it's okay. We can embrace you and love you even if we don't know exactly what you are at this point. Uh, well, we've seen... And that's, the yeah, truth, that. you know, for, and that's the truth for me, because, I mean, I think everybody kind of knows me by now. I love Mike Zimmer's defense, and there's a lot of kids that you can place, you know, or even not even with the defense he runs in Minnesota, but what he's run, you know, throughout his career. There's been so many of those hybrid-type guys that have 
you know, played well. Um, and I, that's why I like him because it makes those blitz schemes and those pressure packages uh, that much more exotic and a little bit more tougher to diagnose. I mean, just ask the Lions. I think they ended up firing two coaches over it a couple weeks ago. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I want to mention something Josh said. Blake Martinez, too. Uh, I feel like Blake has gotten better. Um, this is the first spring where he wasn't playing baseball. The first year he didn't play baseball. Um, he was a starting left fielder at Stanford. I feel like he's gotten bigger, stronger, and more focused. Um, so, you know, it's just a lot easier to – it's hard when you're, you know, he's a 4.0 student at Stanford, <laughs> you know, and he's playing two sports. So, and Stanford's a really good baseball team. Um, yeah, and uh, there's so, a guy that – oh, no, go ahead and finish your – Everybody's kind of coming no, in and out a little bit because I'm driving back from Omaha. So, um, but going back to Blake, because I like uh, what you said, a guy that I went to college with is now one of their assistant strength coaches down there, and he said, in terms of a weight room, weight room warrior, you're not going to find a guy who works harder in the weight room, and that's including, you know, their offensive linemen, which is what Stanford has been known for throughout the years, is producing, you know strong physical offensive lineman. He's like, there's not a guy who uh, is probably pound for pound stronger than Blake Martinez and easily doesn't work as hard as them. Um, he said teams, when, when teams actually get a chance to kind of sit down and, and look at him and see how he works, they're going to fall in love with just the type of work ethic that he has. Yeah, he's a guy that's going to be a solid pro for a long time and Though there's still some things where I'm, I guess there's some question marks about how well he does certain things. I know he's really good coming, you know, coming downhill. His run fits are pretty close to perfect, it seems. Uh, he runs this, once again, a guy that has certainly had, we talked about, a bright guy, clearly has the mental wherewithal to handle any kind of defense you might devise. Uh, and I, I guess I agree that he's improved in coverage. I'm still not. 100% on board with how he'll hold up, I guess, at the NFL level in coverage, but we'll see. Yeah. Senior Bowl is going to be big for, for, yep. for Blake, for sure. Um, I just like how light he's gotten on his feet. I mean, because it's baseball weight and, you know, football weight, you get different, you know, you got yeah. to lose some pounds uh, out there in the outfield. So I like how he's put on weight, but still kind of maintain his light feet and his, his speed. Uh, I know he's not the fastest guy in the world, but I mean, he he. Get, I know you know Luke Kikli is probably too much high of a comparison, but I mean that's kind of who he reminds me of. And I was a huge Luke Kikli fan. I mean, I had him as a top five player that came out, and I don't have Blake that high, but <laughs> I mean, I guess he'd be a light version of him because I mean they they have a lot of similarities. Right, except the sideline the sideline part. I mean that's the thing where it sort of breaks down. He's he's. I agree, he's gotten quicker than he has been in the past, but he's, you know, I don't think he's Keekly quick, I guess, is what I'm saying. No, <laughs> he's not loose. Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing I guess holding him back in is that side-to-side on Steve, um, which is a huge deal, of course, you know. I, I think it's good. He, he has good speed, just not as good as loose. Yeah. So we've talked about our favorites, our guys we sort of have at the top. Who are some of the guys that, you know, have at the top, but Maybe there are people that you feel like are underrated or, or people are sleeping on or things like that. I'll stick with you, Donovan. Who do you think are linebackers that are better than other people think they are? Oh, man. Uh, better than people think? Uh, God, that's a good question, man. 
Um, I'm going to go with a guy that's another spur type of guy from your neck of the woods, uh, Deion Clark from Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, I think he's a pretty solid linebacker uh, out there. I think uh, P.J. Davis is an underclassman, but I think next year people will be on to him. He's, you know, about 5'11 and some chains, about 220, I think they have him with that. So, um, out of Georgia Tech, um, ACC guy. So, he's a guy that's played pretty big this year. For them, another team, again, hasn't had good success. Uh, the Oregon defense we're talking about, but he's played pretty well to me. Uh, like I already mentioned Joe Walker being pretty much my number one underrated guy. Um, P. Robertson, or Robertson, excuse me, of Texas Tech as well. Um, they're coming off a pretty good season for them, and uh, I, I, he's played pretty good. I mean, some of you know the defense is not good, I know, but I mean the defense it seems like it's getting better. You know, at least at tackling. Um, you know, I mean they're just so, they're probably the, one of the worst power five teams at tackling. And he's a really big part of that. He's been a staple there um, for a really long time. So and Dominic Alexander um, isn't really underrated per se, but I think he he is Eric Stryker and Sanchez and. Jordan Thomas, all guys get all the love, um, and he's probably the X factor for that defense. I feel like for Oklahoma. So, and I think uh, next year, you know, we're possibly be talking about him as one of the best uh, inside linebackers in the country. So those are a few guys uh, that will say. And, and you know, Kelby Brown at Duke, he's always injured, but if he can be healthy, um, you know, he he can be pretty solid if he can get over the injury bug too. Yeah, that, I agree that he's he does some interesting, exciting things when he's healthy, but you would like to not have to say when he's healthy so much. Right. Uh, one guy, I, I, you know, this is just kind of rumor, Bill, but, I mean, being, you know, pretty close to some, some people at SC, uh, Trey Madden might move back to linebacker. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that might That'll be interesting. Be yeah, yeah, I mean, he, I don't know yet. I mean, he's. Third on the depth chart right now, running back, so he's not really getting a chance too much to run uh, the football the way we thought, just because Ronald Jones emerged so much. But um, that's the guy to look out for, man. Just because you're gonna hear like kind of some Carlos Williams comparisons, I guess, but <laughs> he's not nearly as good as him athletically. But I guess just the position change and things like that. He used to play linebacker at SC though um, when he was right. a freshman, and he was, he was uh, primarily you know, recruited as a linebacker. Yeah, yeah, he was. And he, I mean, he's a big guy. You know? He's a pretty big back. Um, I mean, I like him at running back. I don't think he's bad. I just think USC's really talented at running back. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think he needs to move positions. But uh, I've heard some people say that he might at least try it out, maybe be able to play both. I don't know. I mean, that's just a rumor, yeah. but it, it could happen. Trying to miles jack it up a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, <laughs> A lot of those guys, man, uh, can play two positions. Just that's just the way it is now. Um, you know, coming out of high school, I mean, our guys have always play two positions, but you know, it's, it's just more trendy now. I feel like um, early on in the college, I know, you know, Coach Kiffin had him playing um, both at one point when he was a redshirt freshman until he got banged up. You know, it's just hard to hard, hard to play both positions, of course. Yeah. That's a, like it's an interesting thing, and it sort of puts to your mind of you know what if what would have happened if uh, if Carlos Wilson Carlos Wilson sorry Carlos Williams had moved back or as you said or what will happen with Mike Miles Jack I mean there's a lot of interesting experiments and scenarios with because most of them you know Dory Jackson there's a lot of guys 
who can do both things, uh, but a decision has to be made if you're a scout at some point <laughs> as to what you think he is at the next level. And so that's 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 the real question, you know, for some of these guys is what what will they be? Because you're not going to go both ways except in, like, special gadget situations at the next level. Yeah, I, I can see Trey Madden moving to, to linebacker, uh, definitely. But I, I think that uh, if I was him in his camp, I would try to stick with the run. I mean, I know this running class is really good, but I think he could still be picked up, you know, pretty high, um, you know, drafted at least at some point if he has a good uh, workout. Right, right. Okay, so same question to you, uh, Jim Coburn. Who are some of the guys that uh, pop up in your head if maybe people should be higher on them than they are? Um, I mean, I see Wonga, you know, from Rutgers. Um, I think, you know, he's a guy that uh, I don't think gets enough credit for what he does in Rutgers defense. Uh, no, nobody really talks about Rutgers anyway, but uh, he's a really solid overall linebacker. I, I think that uh, I know he he might not declare and stuff like that. Well, who knows? But you know, it looks always probably not. But he's just a guy that you know, keep a radar out for. Uh, he's played really good football there. Uh, Jalen Reeves Maven from Tennessee again. He's a guy I I don't think gets enough talk at all uh, on most people. Uh, he's a really good linebacker for them. Uh, uh, everybody talks about Derek Barnett and, you know, Maggot or Magic, but I, <laughs> Jalen is, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's the deal, man. I know that some people are like, oh, size, all this, but I don't think he's really that small. Um, I, I know a lot of people talk about, him and like, oh, he's too small, he's too this, he's too that, but I, I don't really see that at all. He's a really good linebacker type, a uh, really good solo tackler and blitzer and can kind of do a bit of everything as well. Uh, Josh Forrest at Kentucky is another guy where he's actually a full-size linebacker. Yeah, he's he's legit. Looks 6'3-ish, 240. You know, he, he's pretty full fully uh full bodied what people like, you know, in terms of prototype size, uh, at the position. Uh smart, uh can cover, uh can do everything you want. Uh only problem he has is plays in Kentucky. So do you drop a guy down off your board for that, uh Jim? Uh, I don't, but I mean when you play in Kentucky you don't really watch you play and when you make a mistake, they go, oh, of course, that's what a Kentucky player would do. But <laughs> I I don't see that at all. He's a, he's a really solid linebacker. I, I think he has he has all the tools, all the brains, all the, all the athletic ability to be a starter at the next level. And uh, his, where he plays will kind of affect how high he goes, you know, and just I, I, I hate to say that, but, you know, it's just kind of what it is. Um, and uh, I know it's funny to say there's a guy at Ohio State that doesn't get a lot of talk, but um, Joshua Perry was a guy I, I was watching even last year, uh, is solid, cross-the-board guy. 
Uh, nobody talks about them because plays at Ohio State. Everybody's talking about the Boses and the Von Bells and the uh, and the quarterbacks and the running backs and you know all those people. But Perry's a guy that I I would not be surprised ends up uh, getting a starting job somewhere at linebacker. And and that's the biggest thing is a lot of these guys I see as starters mainly because just how bad a lot of NFL teams are at the linebacker. Like, when was the last time the New York Giants had a good linebacker, you know, that they didn't have to pay money to get and ended up tearing his ACL a couple times? Like, like, when was the last time the Giants actually drafted a decent linebacker? When was the last time the Cardinals? I mean... I know you're like, well, Dion Buchanan, but the only reason why Dion Buchanan or, is playing well, well, I was going to say Daryl Washington. <laughs> that wasn't that oh, far back either. Well, I mean, Daryl Washington, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but you know what happened to Daryl Washington. But I like, do know what happened, yes. But, <laughs> but he was still time, a good player before that happened. They had <laughs> Daryl Washington and Kevin Minter. Like, you know, like that's, that's – I mean, the reason Dion Buchanan's playing linebacker for them is because they have nobody else. They got no place else to go, Bill. So they had to go Dion Buchanan at that position. Uh, look at the Raiders. Our linebackers are terrible. You look at uh, the Steelers to a certain extent. Their linebackers are a little iffy at certain spots. Uh, you look at you look at the Cowboys. They could use some, you know, linebackers in terms of depth and everything else. Like, every team needs a linebacker uh, unless mm-hmm. you're like the Patriots. Well, not even the Patriots, right? I mean, if Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower go down, who are they going to rely on, right? So, um, I, I just think that this is a class that has a ton of guys. Um, but the guys I mentioned, like Steve Wonga, Reeves, Maven, Perry, Forrest, those guys that pretty much somebody's talking about could go to a place like the Giants, go to a place like Arizona, step in and people would go, wow, these guys are pretty good. It's like, well, yeah, you know, that's what you, I mean, they're better than what she had, you know? So um, these are guys that legitimately, I I believe, you know, are going to earn a, you know, a spot on the 50 roster and start because they, they're just kind of better than a lot of the other options that are out there. Look, even the Bears, the Bears linebacker core has been terrible. And they're really bad at evaluating linebackers. Yeah, it's ironic. (laughs) Because, I mean, when you think about this, this is the team where they literally invented the Mike Mike linebacker position. The first middle linebacker, Bill George. But I'm saying they invented the position. There was no thing as a middle linebacker until the Bears invented it. Bill George invented the middle linebacker position when he stepped away from the line and played – you know, off the line instead of playing middle guard. And Kim, like I said, invented oh, sure. the I mean, before 3D. They did that, you know, invented the linebacker position a long time ago. Uh, I wasn't alive back then, but, yeah, they did that. Uh, you know, Dick Buckus, linear history. Right. right. Bill Bill Look at the lineage. They went from, you know, uh, Bill George gave way to Buckus, which is pretty decent, and then, you know, had a little bit of a middle period after <laughs> Buckus, but not – not too long after Buckus, you get Singletary, and then yes. not too long after Singletary, you get Erlacher. But now yep. it's not not good. They <laughs> can't get Erlacher. It was just bad. I mean, they and and they did the, the and they made a lot of mistakes. A lot of other people do, which is, 
hey, look at this athlete from Florida. He's good, kind of. You know, uh, we can coach him up. Doesn't have the best instincts, but we can coach him up. And you know, unfortunately, that you know, and then of course they got that other guy from Rutgers who was like a safety that they turned into a linebacker, and then it was just kind of a mess. But I mean, every every team could use <laughs> every team could use you know linebackers, and I, I just think that those guys in particular. Uh, are guys that uh, can step in immediately for those teams and do a better job than whatever it is they have in the position right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll stick with you for a moment, Jim, and then we'll go back around. And I think we might have lost Kent. Let me just double-check to see. Uh, Okay, we did. We lost Kent. And we lost uh, Josh. I know that is on the road again. So, um, great having you guys on while we had you. I'll stick with you for a moment, Jim, then we'll go to Donovan. So why do you think – there's certain positions where we know why people miss. You know, people usually miss on quarterbacks because they overvalue the things they can measure, how big, how strong, how far you can throw the ball. People usually miss on corners because they underestimate the mental side of the, the cornerback position and – only look at athletes and length and crap like that. And we know that people miss on wide receivers, once again, similar to the way they miss on corners, usually forgetting about how much that guy's going to have to do mentally in the NFL and looking far too much at just, you know, how the math it is. Usually that's, you know, the issue that we find. Why, what's with linebackers? Why do you think people miss on them? You know, I think it's just a combination of, you know, one, not realizing the mental uh, capacity that these guys have to play with. Uh, it's not it's not just about having the athletic ability of Brian Urlacher or Luke Keekley. It's about having the brain of Luke Keekley and the brain of Brian Urlacher and the brain of, you know, uh, in terms of instinct, in terms of Ray Lewis uh, and all these other guys. Like, these are really smart football players who also have really good athletic ability. And I think more and more I'm getting tired of this whole, you know, assumption that I just put athletes on the field. doesn't matter. Intelligence, nah, that doesn't matter. Just get the best athlete. Like, that's just not going to work. Uh, football is always going to be a a thinking man's game in terms of anticipation and everything else. And I don't care how good of an athlete you are. We've seen this. Like, there's tons of guys that were, I mean, Thomas Howard was a guy that oh. was, like, incredible he, he He may have been the most athletic linebacker I've ever seen not named Brian Urlacher. <laughs> uh, absolutely, man. Fast, quick, explosive. Like He had, like, a 38-inch vertical or something crazy, didn't he? He was a beast. He was incredible. He was an Al Davis pick. Like, he could do every like anything you could ask a guy to do in the weight room or on an Olympic field, he could do that. You ask him to not get fooled for play action and, you know, and, and run fits and all that. Not so good in terms of – or running in the right direction. Um, not good. So, like – 
I think that a lot of times people miss because they they really uh, they over they overemphasize athletic ability for um, football IQ, uh, or they don't really know how to judge football IQ 100% at the linebacker position, or they assume that football IQ at the linebacker position is not. Um, Depending on the position, it's not as important as some people think for some reason. I, you know, because uh, I've, I've heard that a lot with certain people where they go, well, he's only asked to do these kinds of things, but it's fine because he, we're just going to have him do these types of things. And I'm like, well, that's not what makes him. You, you're going to take this guy in the top ten of the draft. You that think that means you think he's going to be an elite linebacker. Elite linebacker has some things you got to check off, you know, does he meet some of those criteria? Sure. He checks off the boxes here, but in terms of his football intelligence, it's over here. Like you have to have all those factors to really be a really good linebacker. And honestly, and, and, and not only that, but, you know, as a metrics guy, which I know, you know, it's a dirty word, kind of. Uh, it's getting a little better, but, you know, I still get the occasional, you know, just watch the tape or people that want to lecture me on something and yet they don't do any of the work to see it for themselves. But um, I, 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 when it comes to linebackers, that's the most predictive position in terms of pursuit linebackers because solo tackle market share is the business. Like, Right. The threshold for 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 multiple all pro pursuit linebackers uh, is in that fifteen top fifteen percentile, which is better than every other position I have. It's the most predictive metric I have, which is in terms of solo tackle market share. So when I say a guy is a little bit of a risk because he he fell into this area of solo tackle market share. I'm saying that you say he's Brian Urlacher, you say he's Luke Keekley, you say he's this. Luke Keekley was a guy at Boston College who made up 20%, yes. 20% yes. of his team market share. Now, right. there's reasons for that. He's incredibly athletic. He's incredibly he was so athletic. much better than everybody else on that team. <laughs> so much better than everybody else on that field, and he was always going in and making plays. Now, if a guy isn't doing that, if he's only getting 10%, well, you know, there's some good linebackers there, but they're not elite linebackers. And that that's my only thing. is I think it's it's just in terms of, like, people go, how do you judge upside? It's so hard to judge upside, right? Well, no, it's not. It's, these guys have incredible athletic ability, and they produce at this certain level. And I think that that's the only issue. I think a lot of people – like, oh, this guy's elite, when I'm like, well, there's a pretty good chance he's not elite, and here's why, but they don't really want to listen to that aspect of it. Sometimes if you watch the tape, you can see, okay, he's really good at this particular thing, but he doesn't do everything, or he doesn't, you know, he's not so much better than everybody else that he's going to be this elite, studly guy at the next level in terms of being an elite suit linebacker, and I think that's where the big disconnect is. So, I think it's just a combination of one, people not evaluating the position very well at from the get go, two, not doing the metrical sort of analysis side of things and trying to, you know, see, you know, where the gaps are in terms of certain 
things and how how much how much how you know what is a good production in terms of that what is a good production so it's that kind of aspect of it and it's just in general like I I don't know like a lot of times people like people do realize there's different types of linebackers right and I think it's the same thing as like running back where there's all these people that go oh running backs are 200 pounds suck because they suck. And I'm like, well, no, they don't. I mean, we've had Jamal Charles. We've had all these other guys that were really good running backs at that side. It's the same thing at linebacker. You know, some people really like strong side, you know, some people like 250-pound linebackers. Those guys work out. So do the 230-pound linebackers. I, I yeah, it's just harder to find the 250-pounders nowadays than it right, used to be. Right, right. Exactly. Like, it's it, that, and that's why that's why the tweener thing is happening is because I have a hard time finding uh, consistently linebackers that are 240 pounds in college football today. Like that's it's it's hard to find a legit 240 pounder in college in terms of you know linebackers. So when you're faced with that situation, it's tough. It, it, your standards are really high. Like. You're like, I don't want nines. I want tens, oh, right? Oh, ooh, like, ooh, ooh. hold on, hold on. Ken's back. There's a question I wanted to ask you. You okay. tweeted out something very interesting about your particular linebacker metrics, and Jim was talking about how he's found for whatever term we use, off the ball, pursuit, uh, four, three, whatever term you want to use, traditional linebackers, guys who aren't three, four, sort of hybrid elephant types. He found the single most predictive thing of success is solo tackle market share. He whipped out Luke Keekley, who was a great example. I mean, the guy seemed to make – he said 20% of the solo tackles made by Boston Gods defense were, were Keekley. It felt like more than 40%. So, I mean, if you watched games, it felt like he was in on every single tackle. Um, what do you use to, to measure linebackers, and what have you found to be the most compelling – information when judging linebackers can. You know, the the higher athletes in, in the linebacker field, um, and I'm not talking about guys that are just above average. I know we talked about a previous show about just clearing that bar um, at most positions, but at linebacker is one of those positions where if you're a, a superb athlete, one of the upper tier athletes, you tend to have success. Um, you look at the, the lower guys, the guys that are on the lower spectrum, um, you'll get a couple of guys that hit here and there, but you look at, I'm, I'm looking at all the guys that have a nine or higher. Uh, my metric goes from zero to 10. So any guy that's 9.0 or higher, you got your Khalil Mack. Yeah. You got, uh, Bruce Irvin's in there. I know he, he blew up the combine, did all his stuff. He's got a little bit of success. Um, uh, Michael Kendrick, Luke Keekley's on there, of course, at a 9.44 out of 10. Justin Houston, Von Miller. You know, these are the guys that show up. Um, and, and turn into upper-tier linebackers, guys that really have athletic ability, not just a little bit, but a lot. Um, so for me, it's more the guys that stand out. You know, if a guy stands out as a good athlete, then that's, okay, well, that's clear in the bar. That's a guy that you might, you might draft, that you might think could do okay. But if you're looking at a guy who you think could be an elite linebacker, one of the top linebackers in the NFL, they've got to be a great athlete. They really have to clear all those numbers. They've got to look really, really good when they actually go through and do their measurements. Now, obviously, you have to look good on tape, too. Luke Keekley and Von Miller are good examples of guys that were both elite athletes and great on tape. Um, but if you look at the guys that, that come in above the, this 9.0 to 10 mark, um, 
you know, not all of them did that well. But if you go back and look at the tapes, you see why, because the tape doesn't really back up the kind of numbers that they put put up. Um, which yeah, is that's, where the production, that's where the production metrics sort of kick in right. for, for Jim. He was talking about Thomas Howard, who I, I said when you mentioned Thomas Howard's name, with the exception of Brian Erlacher, I can't think of a better athlete I've seen play linebacker in the right, last exactly. quarter really century. Right, it's really a matter of, like, taking what Kent, it's really a matter of taking what Kent said, which I do agree with, like, the best, it's, I mean, Ray Lewis, incredible athlete, Luke Keekley, incredible, like, ridiculous athlete, like, Brian Rolacker, like, probably one of the best, in terms of, like, what, how to build a Madden linebacker in terms of his testing numbers and everything else, like, that, that's him, Anthony Barr was probably the last, I mean, I know he wasn't looked at as a pursuit linebacker, but if you were to do a Madden pursuit linebacker, he would kind of look like Anthony Barr in terms of having length and speed and everything else. But it's really a matter of just taking that aspect and then seeing if it matches the production, um, you know, on tape. And if it doesn't do that, what's going on here? I mean, like you just said with Bruce Irvin. I mean, Bruce Irvin was a guy that incredible athlete, everything like that. Wasn't the that's production guy in terms of every, you know, in terms of and of course he was the edge guy, but wasn't really producing like a Von Miller, or producing like a Justin Houston in college in terms of his sack market share and solo tackle market share and tackle for loss market share. Has been decent with the Seahawks, of course, and you know, but I, I don't know. I mean, he's been he's been a NFL player. Like they didn't lose out, I guess. Like they didn't get a bust for service, but. <laughs> maybe if he was a little bit better in terms of his production in college, he would have been, with that athletic ability, he would have been, you know, like, all I'm saying is, like, his production with his athletic ability kind of matches. Like, he's he's underperformed with his athletic ability, what you would expect somebody like that with that ability would do, I guess is all I'm trying to say. At the risk of oversimplifying, and I'll ask, I guess both Kent and Jim, the same question. I'll ask Kent first and later Jim. If a guy is super productive and is a, you know, top 10 percentile athlete in his position group over X number of years, I would assume those guys succeed overwhelmingly high. Like you would probably, I would assume you'd have very few guys who didn't have successful careers. Those guys who are both super athletic and really productive. I mean, is that sort of a at the risk of something rather simplistic? Is it is it kind of is it, can one say that safely? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a predictive measure. Whenever you're looking at both, and this, and I'm sure the, everybody would agree, it's not a predictive measure whether you're looking at at production or uh, athletic ability. It's, it's looking at your likelihood of succeeding. Um, looking at athletic measurements, I found I know it's. it's not really the greatest way to put it, but it's it's a better measurement of who is unlikely to succeed than it is who is likely to succeed, mm. um, which is why we talked about earlier so about clearing that bar. You know, if you have a guy that that is a better athlete overall, they just tend to do better, which makes sense. You know, on a on a surface level, because we're talking about a, a game of football which requires athletic ability, so the athletes tend to do better. Um, but as far as over a longer period of time, it, it's actually supports that. Guys that are, are overly athletic, that have that really extreme type of athleticism and have the tape that match it, they tend to have better, longer careers because it's, it's that consistency that comes in. You know, they have the athletic ability to make these plays and they've shown that they have the production to back it up, that they can remain consistent, they can do football things well with their athleticism. 
Right. That makes sense. And same question to you, Jim. If I have a guy who's, you know, producing, uh, he's, you know, 18.5% of his team's solo tackles, and he, you know, runs 4.53 and has a 37-inch vert and a, a 9.10 broad and, you know, he, you know, all the sort of all the physical boxes are checked. And you're this is a guy you're looking at in the first round because you know obviously the, hopefully the tape reports it as well. But but you you have, I mean, I assume you have sort of a warm fuzzy. If a guy tests well, if the numbers are there, you should feel at that point, yes, this is the guy we should pull the trigger on. I mean, your your numbers have proven, I'm assuming, or shown that the likelihood is extremely high with a guy's really really productive and test well. Well, yeah. I mean, the top 10 percentile is a pretty high likelihood of threshold. I mean, in terms of, you know, all pro, multiple all pro, or, you know, the Navarro Bowmans, the, you know, the Ray Lewis, uh, Patrick, you know, Patrick, uh, yeah, not Patrick, uh, Patrick Willis, Patrick Willis. Uh, you know, Brian Erlacher, even Keith Bullock, you know, kind of in that area. Uh, and I'm sure it is, you know, about likelihood, but yeah, if a guy has, uh, you know, top 10 percentile athleticism in every single metric and is in the top 10 percentile solo tackle market share. And I watched the tape and I'm like, yeah, this guy's really good. <laughs> this guy's really good. Yeah, you're going to feel really good about taking a guy like that, you know, in terms of that sort of method of, uh, of thinking, you know, in terms of the trifecta. Um, so, you know, now if it's not the case, then you might feel a little bit more, you know, like, hey, you know, it didn't really, you know. I mean, it doesn't mean. Um, I, I would just say that in terms of, you know, uh, with with the sort of how it works, is there's guys who end up in that uh, top ten percentile who aren't the best athletes end up being good players, you know, um, which is kind of where I kind of stand for is that. Sure, they they weren't elite athletes. They're not guys that I would, you know, they don't pass that bar in terms of uh, being a you know first rounder. But the tape's really good, and also the production's really good. So you should take this guy uh, at some point in the draft, you know, to help you out because they might end up being really good contributors. But uh, yeah, I would say that yeah, if 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 a guy is an incredible athlete at that level of production in terms of hitting that threshold and also had really good tape, then, yeah, I'm going to feel pretty good about that guy. And to be honest with you, there's going to be probably a couple of guys, maybe one, maybe two, that are going to meet those standards, at least in this spot. Okay. Now, has there, to your knowledge, has there ever been a guy, in the, at least in the years that you've studied, who basically all the boxes are checked and he still didn't make it? Like, he, he had the production... He was a really good athlete, but for whatever reason, you know, he ended up not really working out. Was there ever a guy that you found that that did that was the uh, the case? I mean, there there's certainly guys that under uh, underperformed. I mean, AJ Hawk, right? You know, he was uh, <laughs> a guy that was an incredible athlete, extremely productive at Ohio State. Didn't exactly go All Pro three times, you know, multiple times, basically. Um, so. I guess you could say that's a miss. Um, See, possibly. that's funny because, I mean, not that he's been a great, great player, but I think most people would say he's had a, a decent career. Yeah, but, yeah, go ahead. Career. But, yeah. I, you know, if you're holding it to the standard of, 
this is a guy that, based on the testing, based on the production, he should have been really good. He kind of underperformed. I, I thought, that's all I'm really saying. Is he mm-hmm. underperformed what his athletic ability and what his production said he was going to. Like, if you were just doing it on a pure, what is the what is the most likely possibility, you know, based on this guy, I would have said this guy easily is going to have, you know, multiple Pro Bowls and has a really good chance of being a multiple pro guy. Didn't really have that type of career. You know, now he was really good. He was a starting NFL linebacker. In fact, he's still in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's starting or not. I know he's on the Bengals. So, uh, you know, they got a lot of really good linebackers there as well. But he's just a case of a guy that, uh, you know, you could say underperformed, I guess. You know, his okay. uh, expectations. So, I, I guess you could say that's a – I wouldn't say it's a bust, but – that's the only way I can really explain it. Is he, he was one of the guys where, um, I mean, there, there's tons of guys that were in that 10 percentile who just weren't very good athletes, and you go, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Um, that ended up, you know, not doing anything but really productive, uh, which is also why people lost their minds over uh, uh, Paul Dawson last year, you know, because they're like, oh, my gosh, he's so – testing was so horrible. Uh, and I, I thought, yeah, it was bad, but – I still saw him as a guy that could be a good contributor. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll see what happens in the long term because of just how productive he was. He was a guy that I, I saw as a potential to be, you know, be a starter for a little bit, you know, like a little bit of time. Not not like a Pro Bowl or, or All-Pro guy, but, you know, definitely a, a contributor because uh, of just how productive he was. But in terms of the guys I've seen, yeah, there's there's a few cases where a guy will underperform uh, what you thought they were going to be, but uh, that's kind of you know and and, he, and even uh, you know Kent mentioned guys like Bruce Irvin kind of underperformed. Um, you could say like yeah he underperformed what his athletic ability you know it's like what Justin Mosqueda doesn't always say is he has a lot of people that pass the force player metrics, but some of those guys are. Scott Crichton, I know he's still in the NFL, but he's not exactly, <laughs> he's not exactly getting 15 sacks a year, you know, on the on a no. Vikings. So, he's not getting five per year. Right. But he, he, he would say he's underperforming what you expected him, you know, to kind of – you thought he'd be a little bit better than that, you know. And just to add to what he was saying about Paul Dawson, it, it wasn't just that he had measured poorly. He measured really, really badly. Uh, the his overall grade that I had for him for his measurements was point one zero out of ten, which there's only like <laughs> let's see two two players lower than that, three players lower than that since, since 2005. Oh yeah, it it was really. I mean, it was the the only shred of hope that I even had was he tested uh, just based on my sort of metrics. Similar to Jolan Dunbar, who also wasn't a very good athlete, but also wasn't an incredibly consistent player either. But I just felt like, you know, Jolan Dunbar has contributed a bit in the NFL. You know, he's not the best or not really incredibly good or consistently good. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I just I just always felt like, you know, there's a place for – Paul Dawson, obviously it's not in the first round, which I, even based on tape, I didn't really understand that. But uh, but he, he was definitely a guy that, testing-wise, 
was really bad, but there was some shred of hope that he could at least be a contributor, you know, at some, you know, just doing something, you know. So, if you were being brought into, I guess for you, Kent, if you're being brought into the, the Lions, and if you, Jim, were being brought to the Raiders, and they said, man, we, we need help with sorting out our linebackers. You know, hey, we have these scouts, and they work hard, they do a good job, but we're always left with sort of a hole, we feel like, in the way we go about analyzing linebackers. If you were trying to fix it, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, where would you start? with helping an NFL team to fix a position that, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a real interesting, striking thing to notice how differently teams scout and evaluate linebackers. There are some teams that you can tell they are, they have a hard, fast rule about height, weight, speed. Some teams, you can tell that if a guy doesn't do certain things, just take them off the board from a height, weight, speed perspective. And then other schools clearly care about, something else, you know, I mean, uh, some schools, some schools, teams, some teams, I'm not exactly sure what their particular negotiables versus non-negotiables are at the linebacker position, but clearly, um, and some teams are relationships, you know, they go by, they, they, oh, I know the linebacker coach at blah, blah, blah school, and he tells me this kid's going to be great. I mean, it sounds funny when you say it, but I, I know for a fact it happens because I've talked to guys who said, I love this kid, but you know, our linebacker coach went to school with so-and-so's linebacker coach, and, you know, he got in our, he got in our guy's ear and, you know, talked him out of my guy and we went with his other kid that I knew my guy, whatever. I won't go into all the stories that scouts tell me, but it's a frustrating job. People who, if you think you would be an NFL scout, talk to an NFL scout first. If, you know, if you, before you start saying that's something you wish you were doing. But, um, but I'll start with you, Ken. What would you do to help the Lions fix? their approach to uh, stacking their linebackers in terms of where they are on their board and, and actually, you know, bringing them in, drafting them, or bringing them yeah, in as free agents. It's going to seem a little biased because I, I spend most of my time working on uh, athletic measurements rather than production metrics. But for the Lions, that's, that's really where they need to focus. Uh, they have an incredibly unathletic linebacker for um, The only linebacker that, that graded in the positive for me was DeAndre Levy. And Stephen Pollock, or uh, Peter Whitehead, uh, every other linebacker on the Lions roster, whether it's a, a starter or a backup, uh, they've graded either below average or only just above average. Kyle Vanley has like a 5.08 or something like that. He's just above average. But everybody else is below average. We have, we have slow and unathletic linebackers that we're expecting to run a scheme where they have to cover wide receivers in space, uh, and it doesn't work. You know, uh, DeAndre Levy became a star in the league right now because he was able to do things like that. Very, very few linebackers in the NFL can cover a wide receiver and a cross the you know, That's why they run zone coverage underneath and, and they put their nickel corners on them. They do a bunch of other different things. They usually don't have a linebacker running you know, a stride for stride with their receivers. Um, and you shouldn't expect that all of your linebackers can do that, but having somebody that can do it when you're running a scheme that requires it is important. Uh, and the Lions don't have anybody that can do that. DeAndre Levy's been out with a hip injury, and to hear Wayhead, for some reason, has been on the bench all all, all year. Uh, they started playing him more a couple of weeks ago, and surprise, he's doing well, and they're, they're able to improve their defense. 
Uh, but the Lions were starting before that, Stephen Pollock, Travis Lewis, and uh, Josh Bynes, none of which uh, even crossed that bar. Stephen Pollock was one of the lowest-rated athletes I have on, on record. He was a .4, 3 out of 10. Um, and I love the guy, and he has great taste. But athleticism wasn't his, the reason he did well. Uh, he was just a really smart, savvy linebacker. Well, when you're smart and savvy, that's great. Uh, Josh Vine's another guy that's real smart and savvy. But when you're not athletic and you can't get to where you know you need to be, that's a problem. Yeah, if, if you see a guy coming across a crossing route and you know, okay, this is where he's going to be, this is where i got to be, that's awesome. We want that at linebacker. But if you can't get there, it, it doesn't it isn't worth anything. And that's what the Lions' problem right now is. They just don't have anybody that can, can change direction or get, get anywhere fast enough to do anything productive as linebackers. So they need to improve that. Their, their overall athleticism of the position really needs to improve. Hmm. Right. Uh, same question to you, Jim. What, how would you help your, your beloved uh, Oakland Raiders to fix what they've been doing at the linebacker position? Well, it's kind of the opposite uh, in a, a little bit. We don't well, it have... makes sense because for so long the Raiders – well, cause, sorry, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but, I mean, we've, we've gotten guys – I mean, Neron Ball was a pretty – that's the best. I mean, again, above average athlete. Uh, Miles Burris. Remember Miles Burris? Above average athlete. Yes, yes. Uh, I actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I really liked Miles Burris because I was San Diego State. Okay, well... And he was one of those tweener types. He played the, what do they call it, uh, Aztec backer position, sort of a combination safety and... He played that, and, you know, he was really more... I mean, based on just what he was on paper, he looked more like an edge guy than anything else, but um, a kind of really undersized edge guy, but nonetheless, uh, you know, kind of guy. But, I mean, you know, he was, you know, okay. Uh, Ben Henney, um, not very explosive, but fast. For his size and and you know really good short shell three cone uh, kind of scenario, this year has been frustrating to say the least. Uh, and I mean, I would say it's really marrying the two, uh, the production side of things. Neron Ball is a pretty good athlete. Neron Ball production in college was nightmare scary. <laughs> Uh, what's going on at this establishment, guys? Um, great story. Don't be wrong. Uh, but in terms of you know, he had kind of brain thing. Almost died from kind of a brain kind of issue, and still has it by the way. So he could die in any play. Uh, that's a great story, Raiders, right? Uh, with all the concussion stuff and all that stuff, having a guy die on the football field over brain thing. But yeah. Uh, He's and he's not been bad, but he's not even been really good either. So I I worry about that kind of thing. Uh, I think that and 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 a lot of this just has to do with the Raiders having to do a lot of. I mean, they don't have a lot of options, right? I mean, you have to draft your guys, let the draft guys to come in and play linebacker. So that that's just what they do. But I just think it's. Uh, it's not really the athleticism side of things, although Ray Ray Armstrong, I still don't know why Ray Ray Armstrong was made into a linebacker. He was a safety at Miami, and then he became a linebacker at some point in the NFL. I don't know how, why that <laughs> happened. It, 
And well, the Rams the Rams converted him, I guess, in part due to the fact they wanted a coverage linebacker. Well, okay, but wow, okay, uh, but anyways, like that's not going to work out. Um, one because most of his production was the safety, and even as a safety, he wasn't really production wise didn't even hold up to the standard. So uh, I think what really is the issue with the Raiders is guys like Neron Ball and guys like Miles Burris on paper tested more like just what they look like reserve backup uh, pass rush types, you know, edge guys, guys that are primarily going to be your strong side linebacker types. But those guys aren't going to become Luke Keekley. Those guys aren't going to become, you know, the premier pursuit linebacker types. Uh, so, and, and they're asking them to do that. They're basically at, it's kind of like drafting uh, <laughs> Shane Ray and then being like, Hey, Shane Ray, uh, we want you to play middle linebacker. Like, okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? Like it's, it's a totally different world with a totally different things they ask you to do and to, to take a guy. And sometimes it works out sometimes, uh, you know, mostly, but, uh, but sometimes it really, most of the time it doesn't. So I, I think with the Raiders, they're definitely getting guys that have a willingness to play football and are not terrible athletes. I mean, we, I mean, I would say offensive line is where we struggle a lot, which makes sense because, you know, the Packers, right? Uh, you know, Reggie McKenzie comes from the Packers lineage of getting off at the linemen and, you know, look at the Packers now. But uh, I think in terms of a linebacker type, I just think that we could do a lot better in terms of getting – like, all I would say is this is the class to go get your linebacker. So this is the class to do that. Like, if there's any class to – fix this problem it's it's this class there's going to be lots of guys i think that are going to um, test well um two may even be special guys which i would even suggest you got you would take at the first round um and then a couple other guys i would say hey take those guys in the fourth and the third kind of area and solve your linebacker issue because they just it's it's kind of a disconnect between they they're getting guys who are athletes miles burris was athlete, you know, decent athlete, but he was. They were asking him to do things that he just was not capable of doing, just from a mental standpoint. And uh, I think that's the biggest issue for me is they're taking guys that are testing well enough to be starters. You know, they look like starters based on their athleticism uh, and their athletic ability, but they just didn't produce like that in college at all. I was starting in a linebacker, so. That's- Thus we thus we have the issue that we have now, which is we can't cover tight ends. We could barely stop the run, and and uh, you know don't even get beyond blitzing and stuff. But um, in terms of that kind of stuff, uh, but yeah, that, that's that that's the only thing I would say uh, is that. And also get Khalil Mack, put him in a three-four defense already. You know, like because that's. That's what he truly is. He's not a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end, you know. He's a 3-4 outside linebacker. I think we're kind of wasting him uh, by just having him put his hand in the dirt and rush the passer when he could be doing a lot more things uh, in terms of uh, 
uh, in terms of outside linebacker role. So. And I believe we've been joined. Who just hopped on with us a couple minutes ago from Texas? Uh, Richard Ridgeway. There's Richard. Um, so, obviously, um, as you talked about a little bit last night, that game that was played was played in a gale, basically. I mean, just played in, you know, an absolute uh, flop. And it still is. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it, 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 the conditions have, have barely improved since yesterday. It's right. Yeah. Even today. So yeah, it was. It was. It, it's been absurd here for the last <laughs> 72 hours, and the game yeah. conditions continued to deteriorate last night. Uh, yeah. A lot of people scary. jumped on Chris Johnson, sort of as the, you know, the, the reason for the defeat. Uh, and while he didn't play especially well. I'm not going to put it. I'm going to lay that loss at his feet. I think it was a combination of things. Uh, obviously, the ludicrously terrible weather conditions, and uh, I would say I was expecting their running game to be a little more productive, including Chris Johnson's part in it to be a little more productive. So I guess he maybe bears a little bit of that. Uh, but I thought that you know a combination of well, Linwood was hobbled, but I thought especially in that kind of weather condition that Chapin was going to you know, do his, you know, young Larry Zonka acts and just pound those dudes into submission, and I didn't see as much of that as I'd expected. Uh, what, what did you see when you watched the game, Richard? Uh, well, as far as uh, I, I think the the biggest thing that happened, estimation-wise, with Chris, I thought that he would be able to run a little better than he did. He was absolutely hindered off the, the conditions. I thought his athletic ability would be able to uh, where he would be able to utilize some of uh, more on the read, and that didn't come to fruition except for one play, I think, in the fourth quarter. And they did need it, and he did produce there. But uh, to me, the entire game was third. In the third and fourth quarter where Baylor had dominated, and for better or for worse, Kendall Browse would continue to be stubborn and dial up dial up the long pass. on. They would get six yards on first down and second down, it was going to be, it was going to be a fly pattern deep, and 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 it continued that progress up until, uh, at some point, you know, they gained 18 yards on the ground, and then let's go deep. It was to be a pattern. Of, I think uh, Kendall Brows being a little bit greedy, and and just not sticking with uh, the situation. Matter of fact, when Baylor had to do it, just as they were stuck down on the goal line. Uh, TCU had him down there with what two and a half minutes to go in in the game, and Baylor had to produce first downs. What they do? They ran the ball five times and gained thirty five yards. And mm-hmm. but they they would not. Uh, they I think the failure to just continue to run, and the fact that Chafin got nicked up in the fourth quarter, and they went ahead and stuck with him. When I thought that uh, Terrence Williams probably would be able to come in and. and only time I seen Terrence Williams the entire night was whenever he blocked the punt, and hmm. so I, I I really lay the whole thing in the, at the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter. If Baylor scores after they block the punt, and sure enough, he dials up on third and six. Chris goes back. He doesn't make his first read, and ball gets knocked out of his hands, fumbles it there because because nobody was going to drive fifty and sixty yards of that. And Baylor had put together some very good series. And uh, 
once it got into overtime, I think Boykin stepped up, his experience showed, and it, it, and Baylor just, uh, you know, I, I, the last play, we could go over that too. But the, the, to me, I think it, it showed a little bit of Kendall Browse just trying to stick with the, hey, we're going to throw no matter what, meaning we're going to go deep no matter what because that's what we do. We don't care what the conditions are, and we're going to do that. That's kind of our backup. Even though we run the ball and we can run it well and we can run the ball, we're still going to throw it because I say we're going to. That's kind of the way that, that it appeared to me. And I, Chris, I think Chris did well for what he could do in the conditions. Uh, his mechanics are fairly poor throwing the ball as it is. But uh, I expected his athleticism to show up a little better in the in the second half. But I, I can't I, – I wouldn't lay anything at the feet of Chris, regardless of what he did turn in, which was 0 for 12 or 13 in the uh, second half of the game until the final pop pass that, that scored. And, you know, it, it was uh, – uh, t- to me, I laid it all on, on the uh, lack of uh, – Lack of experience with with Kendall in that game. That's just the way I feel. <laughs> I, I hate saying that because I think Kendall's done a great job for the most part. Sure, I, I agree. Yeah. But that was that was one of the few times where I thought, okay, Baylor got out coached. I don't say that often. I think they have a really a heck of a coaching staff. But I'm going to agree with you. I don't. I mean, you've got a a guy who you know is starting his first game in basically a monsoon. Uh, I thought they put a little, a little too much on him in terms of what they asked him to do in the in the in the passing game with his lack of experience and the monsoon. I mean, it, it's, I hate to keep coming back to that, but and but you you sort of bolstered it for me. They were running the ball reasonably well, and it's just hard to even if you're even if you're Joe Montana or I mean if you're some pinpoint accurate guy, it's really tough to put the ball where you want to, where you can hardly hold the football. And he's, I mean, I remember in the interviews, he was saying how much hard, how tough a time he had just holding on to the football. It just, it surprised story. me. The I, number of I, deep I, I shows yeah. shocked me. Well, that was, that was the biggest thing. And I think it was right there in the, in the third quarter and fourth quarter. I mean, you can go back and look at the tape. Every single play that Baylor ran as far as on the ground was positive yardage. Most of the time it was between three and six yards. But every time right. they would do that, that, I mean, they would be in third and short, and sure enough, they would dial up, you know, some something that that is like why, and and yeah, a couple of times uh, uh, they I think they did get stopped. They ran it three times and got nine yards. And guess what? They ran it fourth time on fourth down, and they made the first down, and then sure enough, they get six yards on first down, and then okay, time to go deep. Like you know, you get that's just the makeup of what. Uh, what they believe in as far as Kendall goes. And, just, and I think he's done a great job. I, I hate to just, you know, kind of nonchalantly say it, it was all his fault. I just think that, uh, to me, it was him getting greedy in, in what uh, it, it's kind of the, the M.O. And uh, I just, you know, from that set, from that point, and again, the mistakes that, that, that happened during the game, they're going to happen in those type of conditions. And, sure. And and I think Boykin showed his experience last night. Whenever it went into overtime, you could tell at that point, as I was sitting watching, it looks like, man, if Baylor can score here, uh, I think they've got it. And, and 
for whatever reason on third and six or third and eight or third third and goal for TCU. They uh, Boykin, you know, uh, uh, they get the interference penalty, I believe it was in, and uh, but he waits uh, on the next uh, time he gets his opportunity, and and uh, and for whatever reason, uh, Bennett doesn't dial up pressure on Boykin, and he lets him sit back there and and, and wait for the pattern to develop and. I believe he finds Porter and running the edge of the end zone. And it's like, man, you know, he showed his experience, and Boykin was actually, uh, he he gritted it out. He's a very good, great competitor. And he was certainly less than, I'd say, 60% last night. And and when Bennett would dial up the pressure, it would pay off. For the life of me, I don't know why they they didn't on that that particular play that they scored that, that actually ended up winning the game in overtime, why they did not dial up the pressure uh, there and and, uh, and and at least bring a fourth guy. They were using Taylor Young as a spy on Boykin, but Boykin couldn't get outside. Uh, I think they should have brought they should have brought at least four, if not five or six, and make him get rid of the ball. Just make him get rid of the ball. But uh, you know, it didn't develop that way. And uh, you see what happened. I thought it was uh, it see. They persevered and survived. I think Boykin did an outstanding job of, of, of persevering, and and you know he, he went out on a went out on a good note for for his final home game, and it, it was a very difficult game for for everyone out there. So anyway, that that's kind of the the overview of the of the house and the folks, and I'll get together with some other people and we'll talk about it some more today. I know. Well, uh, I like I said, I'd love for you to write up some of your impressions and. And talk about some of the guys that you saw. Andrew Billings is a guy that a lot of people are excited about. I and mean, whoever it is that sort of stuck in your mind in terms of uh, performance, and especially the, with an eye towards the draft-eligible guys, though you can feel free to comment on some of the guys who are sophomores or well, retro freshmen know, or true freshmen. You know, I would say on with, with Billings, and you know, I, I happen to look on the Twitter feed here not too long and seen some people that were kind of criticizing some of his play for this year. But uh, in the West Virginia game, uh, Billings got chopped. And he's been playing. He actually went off the field in crutches in that game and came back and played in the third and fourth quarter. He's had a bad ankle since that West Virginia game. And, uh, you know, he's toughed it out. And uh, he's, he's, to me, I think uh, uh, Jamal Palmer has been really – the the kid that that has come up to me that it, the athleticism that he has shown and uh, and Billings has been the guy that really has held it down even even playing hurt and I think that's one of the reasons why people have, have I don't want to use the word disappointed but maybe not seeing the same things they've seen out of Billings from last year because ever since the West Virginia game he has been playing he's been playing hurt and so I think that's uh, that's one of the things but but Palmer has been to me the uh defensively what I see is uh is probably the, everybody talks about open and shot open is a great physical specimen. Uh he takes himself out of plays, especially on the run. I think he's pretty undisciplined at times. Uh whether or not that, that can relate to the next level, uh, I would say if he if he's coachable, yes. But uh, you know, it, 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 his athleticism is undeniable, but at the same time, he, the, from what I've seen all year, when all you're trying to do is, it, to me, looks like getting 
rushing the passer, you're uh, can take yourself out of out of plays where to be Billings does not is a, mainly the nose tackle. They play some, you know, when they change their lineup a little bit. But uh, I thought he was still very solid, even playing through the injuries that he did. I think he, you know, he always demanded double teams or or even triple teams, and you had to they had to take care of Billings, and uh, and I think again. Palmer probably is a kid that I've seen that, that has, to me, the athletic ability and, and it looks like the agility that that, uh, that may be an outside outside that as far as uh, you know, I, that that's kind of the the extent that I can take it on the on the, the defensive side. And as I told you last night, I think the biggest reason that Baylor had struggled most of the year defensively was because losing Bryce Hager uh, to the Rams. And they haven't been able to replace that yet. I mean, I love Taylor Young, and he's he makes a lot of plays, but extremely undersized. And uh, would, but he does make plays for college. And, and uh, as far as the others, I, I really I, I don't know if I can be qualified to comment on it. Don't know how qualified I am on the other things from what I've seen or what what y'all have seen. But that's my impressions of what what's gone on with Billings ever since the West Virginia game. And, and at least why I think he's been kind of limited, maybe in some of the, some of the things that, that where you might have seen from last year. And I'll let you take it from there. Got it. Um, any questions you might have, Kent? Uh, we have Kent Lee Platt with us also. So we have two Texans for the price of one. Uh, any any questions that you might have for him? I think we still have Kent. Did we lose Kent? Oh, we did. We just lost Kent. Okay. So um, then um, I'll just, uh, I guess I'll ask you a couple more questions and we'll, we'll move on. So obviously this, this year will be thought of as, and it's sort of silly to say that about a year that's as good as this year, but we thought of as kind of a year that, uh, a year lost almost. I mean, it was a year that some people thought Baylor had a shot to play for the national championship and obviously you know, they'll still get to go to a good bowl game and probably utterly destroy whoever it is they face in said bowl game. But, um, depending on who it is. But uh, what do you think the within the program people are feeling about this particular season? Um, I think going into last night, very, uh, still very positive because of, uh, of beating Oklahoma State for the first time in, since 37 up there and Turning it, turning in a dominant game, and and thought that so everybody was very positive. I think I think the loss to TCU is going to put a pretty big pretty big damper on it, especially for the fact that feeling like they should have probably uh, have won the game. Meaning, yeah, you know, I, I think that's going to be starting the year. I said if this team loses one, if this team loses two games, I would say it would would be hit in. A disappointment, and and I'm I'm sure that that's there. But everybody can make uh, the you know what ifs, and and yeah, and I'm I'm the same way as far as that goes. And yeah, I think it, I think the program is still not just headed in the right direction. They've got the people now in the depth that could take over and uh, and, and and keep them in that if the elite ten. Top ten, where they have enjoyed for the last couple of years, 
Uh, yeah, it, it hurts that, that you lose the, the quarterback situations with with there, and, and and especially with with the uh, with what I know about you know Seth Russell, and and uh, I think there's going to be though a genuine excitement coming back uh, of you know okay here here we have another opportunity. Um, Seth will be able to show that he comes back with his same skill set, and if he does that, then uh, this team's going to be uh, it's still going to be formidable. I think they'll be able to to improve again defensively, uh, keep going on that. But uh, uh, yeah, as far as is disappointment, absolutely, and and, I, and I'm not sure what the ball situation looks like, and uh, and even what. Uh, even the quarterback situation, whether Jarrett's going to be well enough for with a fracture that he had in his ankle, if he'll be able to do that, or if they'll have to go with Chris and where they're going to go. And I'm sure though the mindset, at least uh, I, I know the seniors on the team and the, the ones that I know, are it's going to be a. Uh, I think that they'll they'll have it. I would expect them to play well, but uh, and I think they would love to have a shot at some SEC team. Regardless of who they, who's quarterbacking, and and maybe the pressure will be off as far as what they feel from that. And uh, but yeah, as uh, I think, I, I think yeah, lost opportunity, uh, but with obviously a chance of redemption for next year as everybody else starts out. Uh, looking at the schedule for for what they have, obviously they didn't get accomplished to schedule anybody from another Power Five team. But like the California thing, I think that was to me was the biggest disappointment going into next year. I would have loved to for him to have had that opportunity to play uh, Cal. I think it would have been a great matchup for you know, quarterbacks. And uh, but we're going to be relegated again to Rice and SMU. And uh, I think uh, uh, I forget who else. I think we might have probably Wofford or Northwestern State or some directional school so, <laughs> that takes over. And and but we start out the Big Twelve Conference next year, uh, you know, with Oklahoma State. So it's not it's not all backloaded as far as the uh, the difficulty of the four game stretch that they they went through. And of course, they, the injuries that happened happened right down here in the the, the back end of the season. But everybody has to deal with that. And uh, I think uh, they played ad, I think they played admirably. Uh, last night, the defense has improved, and, and I do think the defense will continue to improve next year. They have some very good athletes and, and uh, you know, a little undersized, but uh, for college football, for what I see, for what it is, I think it'll I think it'll still be uh, uh, an improvement. And it, but that's, that's kind of, as I'm talking in circles, I guess, for, for what I see. And, well, well, let me say one last thing about what you just said. Uh, I think To some extent, if they do have to go with, with Chris, if he's the one taking all the reps, and I imagine he would be the guy taking all the reps from this point forward at least, uh, we'll be seeing a different guy by the time bowl time rolls around. Not to say that he's going to be Jarrett Stidham or, or Seth Russell by that point, but I, mean, I think he'll be a very solid representative college quarterback by the time he gets set to get all those starters reps, and it'll help him later in his career with whatever happens. The... Um, like I said, the, the takeaway for me, uh, both defenses, you know, uh, met the challenge, and the challenge is made easier for them by the fact they're, you know, playing in a tropical storm practically. But, but yes, I mean, they still 
rose to the challenge of a couple of really talented offenses. And as you pointed out, uh, Teron Boykin, there are things I guess one can criticize about Teron Boykin, and people do, but if you don't think that's a guy that has a chance, you know, uh, to develop into something, then you and I just simply disagree. Uh, whether he's, I'm not saying he's a guy that you would take and then slam him into your lineup day one as your starter at the next level, but I definitely see a guy that shows me some potential, especially he works on the things every kid nowadays coming out has to work on, you know, footwork. I mean, clearly his footwork is not ideal. And he's not the tallest guy in the world, so he'll have to definitely work on anticipating things in terms of where he's throwing the ball and because he won't always be able to see certain things. But he's, it's not like he just woke up, you know, being six, whatever he is. Uh, he's been this type for a while, so he's already absorbed some of the lessons he needs to learn about how to, how to find throwing lanes. But if he continues to grow up on the middle side of the game, I've seen, I've seen guys with less talent hang around the league for quite some time. So that's a guy I'm excited about just to see what ends up happening with him. And obviously, you know, some of the defensive linemen at Baylor are guys that are going to make some money if they uh, declare. Well, some of the guys who are seniors, obviously, will be coming out. But when they get to things like the combine, I think a lot of guys have test very, very well and excite a lot of people. And to me, like I said, the next step is getting those kind of cornerbacks that tend to find their way to the SEC who not as often find their way to, at least at this point, to Baylor. They aren't, once they get those, you know, those man-press corner types, so 6'1", six, 6 feet tall, run 4'4", four, four, you know, can flip their hips and, and do all those great things to space and make plays in the ball and still can tough enough that they have to come up and, and support on the run, they can do it. When they get those kinds of corners, then you, Baylor's – that's what I think is stopping them from taking that next step as a, as a defense. They don't have – terrific pro prospect type corners yet, but they've got a lot of other athletes as you point out on their defense. Their, their biggest strength is what they've always and, and Bronze has always emphasized is it felt like if you could have a defensive line that can control the line of scrimmage, then you can make a few stops and you can cover, cover some of your weaknesses uh, as long as you can, as long as you can control that. And, and, and I think it's a great plan, but you know, at times, as you said, with injuries and, and as things happen during yeah. the year, it, it's it right. When you, if you if your pass rush doesn't get there and guys have to cover, now what happens? Is, is what, yeah. what the question is. But they did improve. You know, last year every game the secondary played, it was you know, they led the world in pass interference calls. And, right. And this year it wasn't. And 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 just like last night, I was like, why did you just not just turn around? <laughs> and you know, you forced the field goal, but. You know, just it just the kid just got lost in the moment and and creates the pass interference, which created the other opportunity that, that kept TCU's drive alive in overtime. And, and right, and that's the first time. But that's been so few and far between. The secondary has done and very admirable this right. year. Oh, I'd agree that they've improved. I'm just saying that the guys, the kind of right. guys you have back there, aren't still aren't quite the same kind of guys you see at. LSU and Alabama and Ole Miss. You're, you're exactly right, and that would certainly be nice. That would certainly be nice to have, and that would be the. And I think that that is the goal as they as they continue to build the program. And uh, uh, like you said, uh, you take most of the people that ten years ago looked at the program, and and my gosh, <laughs> that's who they want. You know, hey, you're going to schedule somebody. You're you know, if you're a power five or back 
an elite team, yeah, we'll we'll put you on our schedule. You bet. <laughs> and and that's just less than ten years ago. Matter of fact, you know, five and six years ago, uh, whenever Browse came on in I guess two thousand and eight, and the first two or three years he was you know, three and eight and four and eight, and then finally gets some you know gets some people that he can plug in that can outscore everybody as we went over to some of the track meet games, and now they're trying to move into that next level. And I guess uh, if they can continue to to improve that, and, and as you said, get, get some of those guys that, that, that actually can uh, play like SEC level, on, especially on corners and the defense, and that's uh, I think that's the, probably their next progression. And, you know, everybody offensively loves to come to Baylor, so uh, I think that'd probably be the next next step. But, uh, it, I would say I would say overall from, from what you were saying, it, it, it's pretty spot-on accurate for, for everything that, that you mentioned. And, uh, you know, but we'll, we'll see. I'll, we'll, we'll have a lot more today as we go throughout and rehash the rehash right. the Well, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing, <laughs> at least the one follows recruiting, is that the best should be yet to come in case of, in, the, in, the, in the life of the Baylor program. I mean, they, they're getting more and better athletes every year than they ever got before ever in the history of their program. So each year they have a chance to be better than they were the year before. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to just uh, talk about it, and uh, and again from from the perspective of of being uh, away from the scene for a, was for a long time, and I've had the the unique opportunity to be able to follow it now for the last three years, especially to watch this program build up and and seeing it from from that point. Uh, it's been pretty special as far as that goes, and and uh, uh, I think I think both. Both bras. I think Kendall has done a very good job. Didn't want to make it sound like I was just slamming him to, to do that, but uh, I think bras. Both bras have been really outstanding, and you know Art Bras has, has for a lot of people. You know he's he's created a lot of the, the ingenuity that he's had with these type of offenses that we're seeing more and more of, and and Kendall is extremely creative and bright, and uh, you know I, I think. You know, the, as he grows, this program grows too, and, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But it's 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 been fun to watch off the off the inside, and as I hear the criticism throughout the country still, as we talked about, you know, perception is always reality for everybody else, and and it's to break through those those barriers just like it's uh, like they have been for the last four or five years. I think they'll continue to do so, uh, you know, and and especially yeah, I'm very excited for for next season for Seth to be able to come back and, and, and see what he brings. And I think it'll be even more special than, you know, he'll be more dynamic than what he was. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's, I think it'll be uh, uh, something to watch as he was, you know, his first seven games this season. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of where my focus will be at and and in watching there. So anyway, I appreciate you just giving me the opportunity to, talk about i'm sure not very many people are as interested in oh here comes a big 12 baylor guy so it's not quite that way but uh well it's, it's not fun to watch the program right well the, the big 12 is a, an extremely exciting conference and of course you know the thing that originally grabs people's attention is you know all the scoring you know all the all the you know they're whenever the there's a couple of good 12 teams and in, in bowl games or big 12 teams always sort of established 
you know, that you're, you're going to have a good, you should be having a good time as a viewer. And now as they're adding to what they are, you know, uh, putting extra things in uh, and bringing in, you know, guys, four and five-star recruits to bolster, you know, so it's not just fun to watch. Now it's, it's legitimate, big time, you know, we can line up with anybody and win kind of football teams that they're starting to put together there. So it's going to be interesting to see how far they can take it and, and as time passes. So one of the things I look forward to is, like I said, when I see a program on the rise, to see just where it goes from here. So I look forward, like I said, I'll, I'll I, just seeing some of the things that you write up regarding, you know, the program and what they end up doing and the, you know, their bowl game and how that plays out. And if you have any, if anybody, you know, comes to you with any quotes or if you know of anything going on, so those would be things to be great to have as well. Uh, tell people how they can find you on Twitter, Richard, before we uh, close things out. I'll, I'll, well, that's fine. Again, just I don't have anything yet as far as uh, any, of, any of the things where I used to do, write and do it and some analysis and stuff. So uh, just follow Bill for there, and I'll, I, I kind of follow you along and like some of the stuff you do. And if I feel the urge to make a comment on some of the other people that you have, uh, I like the, the people it seems that you have following and, and uh and comment on that some so just look for me Rick Ridgeway on, on Twitter and and uh and I'll I'll make some inane comments every now and then. <laughs> and, and then, no problem. But it'll it'll I, it'll certainly it it'll it'll ramp up later later on sure. whenever whenever I, I'm able to get to that to that phase. But uh it's been a you've been very nice, uh and I will continue to uh as soon as I get time as well to Perfect. Get you something, some more insight here. I'm really looking forward to the Bedlam game tonight. You know, with yes. the, whole, the whole the whole world is looking forward to that game. That's going to be a great, great game, and we'll we'll be talking about. Not, and of course, I'll have uh, next week. I will have uh, Nolan, who's our embedded reporter at that game, talking about what that that was, how that shaped out, and what he saw in terms of uh, the play and the prospects and things like that. Uh, earlier, we had Kent Lee Platt, who at MathBomb on Twitter, and he does a lot of really interesting work with uh, metrics as well as Jim Coburn, who was with us. We had Donovan James with us. So uh, that's at J M Coburn one And, of course, in the case of uh, Donovan, that's at Donovan James Sports. And uh, all of those guys do great work. And uh, always an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. And we had a very special guest, Ryan Turner, who you can find at D2Gyms. Uh, once again, we are coming to the end of our regular seasons. Stuff. And so we're going to start having our first set of uh, prospect shows. So next week we'll have two or three NFL prospects, including Greg Milhouse, who's been selected to the NFLPA game, uh, coming with us. And he's a terrific uh, defensive line prospect from Campbell. So once again, I thank you all for your time, your talent, and your attention. Have a great, great holiday weekend with your family. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.